This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Maritime Developments Limited, engineering specialists for the global energy sectors. Decades of hands-on marine experience have given them deep industry insight and first-hand understanding of challenges faced on the back deck. Every MDL system is designed with ultimate portability in mind to optimise transit, speed up mobilisations and minimise idle times. Because time really is money in the energy business. If you've been looking for a FlexLay partner who can tailor a solution to your requirements, look no further than MaritimeDevelopments.com. Wednesday and you know what that means welcome to episode 34 of the ABZ football podcast I'm Gary Scott joining this week as always it's Gavin Baxter and Graham Steele gents how's it going good thank you good thank you I'm gonna skip this part so we can get it formalities out of the way we are in 10th place eight points off 11th but five points off fourth so what we're saying is there is still a chance absolutely in a week that saw Celtic decide it was fitting to honour a sporting great by giving a wee shout out to the main sponsors, Sevco 5088 proclaimed that they were 150, but we don't know what. That saw them shill the fuck out of their limited edition white shirt all week with the promise that it was being worn against us and then forgetting to register it with the SFA, so just played in the regular kit anyway, and then started shilling their shirt for half price come Saturday evening. And even more hilariously, saw their support decked out in ponchos. Yes, ponchos. Turning Ibrox into a day out at Disney World with Mickey Mouse, a.k.a. John Beaton, in the centre circle. It's another busy episode of the ABZ FP. As we look back at our visits to Tynecastle, and Ibrox will review the women's team and their fixtures against Glasgow City and Celtic, we take a regular look at the young team and our loanies in Loan Watch. We've got a nice little feature where we deep dive onto where we think the seeds have possibly been sown for what's happened this season so far. And with no game next week to preview after the break, it's time for our interview with Aberdeen fan and co-founder of Scotland's most successful women's team, Glasgow City, Laura Montgomery. But first, Hearts 2, Aberdeen nil, Tynecastle Stadium, the 2nd of March 2022, SPFL Premiership. Now, normally, we'd maybe do a bit of a deep dive on this one, but it's been a, well, by the time this episode goes out, it'll have been a week since the game was played. Everyone will probably have to say what they needed to say about it. And to be quite frank, I think I can distill last Wednesday's performance into two words. Utter garbage. Gents, anything else you want to add to that? Uh, I think that's about the extent of it. <laughs> Uh, unable to watch live, but I have caught the highlights on YouTube. And yeah, what you've said encapsulates everything pretty, pretty nicely. Excellent. Utter garbage. That's the ABZ FP view on last Wednesday. Let's move on. Sack the board. <laughs> Sefco 5088 Limited 1 Aberdeen 0 Ibrox Stadium, the 5th of March 2022. The SPFL Premiership. Two changes. 
to Jim Goodwin's starting lineup from the tame defeat at Tynecastle in midweek. Scott Brown and Matty Kennedy both dropping out of the squad completely, replaced by Conor McLennan and Ross McCrory. Calvin Ramsey returning to the bench alongside Dante Povara making the matchday squad for the very first time. USA, USA, USA. No J. Emmanuel Thomas in the matchday squad once again. From what we've been told, no longer required. Graham Steele, your live reaction. I don't understand why it's taken till the 6th of March for someone to confirm that. I could have told you that back in August. <laughs> Those jet shirts would be like a quid now. <laughs> Covered in a thick layer of dust. I doubt they're shifting. Maybe we should buy some for our, like, maybe that should be our five strip uh, on a Thursday night. I'm game for that. On that, I mean, I don't know. I was thinking about this today um, before we go into the... A nice replacement for the orange bibs. <laughs> before they, they were on discount. That's all I'm going to say. Um, before we go on to the, the Rangers game, do you think maybe, I was thinking about this today, if we've been a bit harsh on some of the players sometime this season, do you think we should invite them that, you know, we play fives on a Thursday night at goal? So if they want to come down and critique us, they're, they're more than welcome. I mean, I'm not going to give them the pitch. They can try and find <laughs> us. But, you know, we've kind of done this podcast under a cloak of anonymity. So uh, I think that'll come into, come into play there. You know, if um, if Matty Longstaff decides he wants to take a trip back to Aberdeen, he can come down and hurl some abuse at us from the, from the sidelines of club goals. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Jack Gurr can come down as long as he doesn't play on my team. <laughs> so <coughs> let's go back to Saturday, Aberdeen, and what appeared to be a, a 4-3-3 formation. I'm sorry, sorry Jack Gurr, that was really harsh. Sorry. It wasn't really. We'll come on to signings a, a little bit later, I think. Um, Aberdeen, what appeared to be a 4-3-3 formation, started brightly. And all four minutes, a decent bit of play by Bajowin allowed him to get clear of Borna Barisic and his cross was met well by Ross McCrory, but his knockdown just evaded Conor McLennan in the box. The game then, really, to be quite brutally honest, got lulled into a battle of midfield. Little in the way of attacking threat from either side. Uh, Ross McCrory was kind of the was deployed in a bit of a man-marking role on a, a certain central midfielder who we will not name. And he was kind of effective in that role, McCrory, in stopping the home side, kind of developing any sort of rhythm. One thing I would say about um, the home side is if if that's the player in your side who you're relying on to really dictate play and tempo and all that, that might be some of the, where some of the issues you've got this season are going. Um, Johnny Hayes and, and Funzo King Ojo did pretty well in the full-back areas in the first half uh, to deprive the host of any real opportunities to get the ball wide and, and get balls into the box. Next real action came with Declan Gallagher getting a book in after what seemed like an innocuous-looking clash with the mattress's son in the middle of the park. But I always feel that every clash with him is innocuous-looking and still ends up with an Aberdeen player being booked at the end of it. But but there we go. Um Host did have a good chance to take the lead, uh, but Kamara's effort took a nick off of, I think it was Connor Barron, before clipping the post and going behind for a corner. And then we had a pretty good breakaway a couple of minutes later, Bajau and bearing down on goal before uh, Bassey covered to clear. He who shan't be named escaped a booking or worse uh, after an off-the-ball trip or kick. It never got shown again, funnily enough, by the, uh, the host broadcasters. But it was like an off-the-ball trip kick on Lewis Ferguson, Completely missed by John Beaton, despite the fact he was running right alongside it at the time. Sides were in at level pegging, and the booze, oh, oh the booze, started to, to rain down. After halftime, the host kind of began to turn the screw a bit. Aberdeen started to become more and more entrenched. 
in their own half. Sakala with a couple of chances on 50 and 57 minutes before Ferguson was booked on 63 minutes for standing in front of a free kick that Tavernier knocked off his legs. And more on that later. Conor McLennan replaced by Jack McKenzie shortly after as the Dons continued to be well-organised without ever looking particularly threatening. On the break, David Bates did pretty well on 73 minutes to Rob Morelos as he was bearing down on goal with the hordes in the home stands howling for a, bas- a pass back as desperation began to set in. Calvin Ramsey replacing Johnny Hayes on 80 minutes. But it was just a minute later, the host grabbed the game's only goal. Kamara's ball into the box, eventually nodded back into the danger area by Tavernier. And after a couple of deflections, the ball fell to Roof, who just come onto the pitch. He was unmarked from a couple of yards out and stabbed in. Dante Povara, USA, USA, USA. Came onto the pitch for his Aberdeen debut in the 85th minute. Squad number 21 for anyone who was interested in what number he'd actually given. Replacing Ross McCrory. Before then, Ross Mc, uh, before Lewis Ferguson knocked a quick free kick off the legs of Roof. And despite the fact that this was an exact replica of the incident that saw Ferguson booked earlier, Mickey Mouse refused to play any element of consistency, failed to book Roof. Presumably, John Beaton was just too busy considering what he'd be ordering off the tab at the Loudoun later on. The game petered out, Aberdeen undone by a sloppy goal, and despite some stout defending, a draw would have been the best the Dons could have claimed for, having shown little in the way of attacking threat, especially in that second half, and expected goals of just 0.04. says everything you need to know. And to put that into context for anyone who doesn't understand expected goals, that would mean if this game was played 100 times, Aberdeen would score the grand total of four goals in those 100 games. Aberdeen remain in 10th, 10 games without a win in the league, 11 in all competitions, eight points off the relegation playoff places because we said this week we'd start talking about what's happening behind us. But fuck it, I can't let it go. Five points off fourth. And that league streak of non-wins is the longest since 2002, 2003, uh, which was 11, when Steve Patterson's burgeoning run as Aberdeen boss finally got a win against Dundee at Dens Park. The record, in inverted commas, for Aberdeen is 12 non-wins in the league. That's coming split between the end of the 98-99 campaign and the start of the 99-2000 campaign, where it took until that famous 6-5 victory at Fir Park for Eb Scovedale to get his first win as Aberdeen manager. And then leaves Jim Goodwin. Gav, do you want to do the stats? Oh, God, where's my notebook? Oh, you've not got your notebook ready? Shit. Disappointing. Well, I do it for you. No, 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 no. I'll, I, can, I can do this. I can do this. You, you had one job. And one job. It's not written down, but I can still do this. Uh, Jim Goodwin. So that'll make uh, four games played, a form book that reads zero wins, two losses, and two draws. Gents, um, thoughts on that one? I, d- I didn't see it, but it doesn't really matter because it's just followed the pattern of most of the games this season. We don't, a lot of the time, we just don't look like scoring, which you've you've said, and you just know that we're going to ship a goal. Albeit this time around, was a little bit back to front in terms of our usual um, style of shipping goals. We didn't ship it in the first five. <laughs> we, actually, we actually held on quite well, but obviously shot the bed and collapsed later on. So <laughs> I'm getting a little bit, um, it's just a little bit samey, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're just a bit of a, a nothing team. I think we've spoken about this even going back beginning under Stephen Glass when we were trying to build, what are we going to be, are we going to be attacking and sort of go gung-ho and leave gaps at the back, but we'll score goals. 
we never really did that. Are we going to be maybe more defensive and shut up shop and build from a solid base and then maybe nick the odd goal? We don't really do that either. And it just feels like it's continued along all seasons. I kind of just want someone to stick a twist on one style and let's try and do something well rather than just looking a bit inadequate at both ends of the pitch. So it's just, this is not really a dig at Goodwin at all in any way, shape or form. It's far too early. It's just a little bit frustrating that, you know, the season's well and truly gone. Here we are with yet another typical performance. Echo a lot of those same thoughts. Um, two weeks ago, I appear to have in my notebook here written Declan Gallagher, Sarah Mack, when will it end? Right now, it's just when will this season end, <laughs> quite frankly. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think for everyone involved, Jim Goodwin, just to get past this for us, because I think I think we're too far away to get dragged into that oh, relegation Gav. Oh, battle. Gav. <laughs> I think we are. I think your notes are wrong. I, f- I feel that we need to bookmark this. I'm prepared to dismiss the notion of the relegation playoff with Kilmarnock. I tend to agree with this with Gav. I, I think we're probably all right, because I, I just can't see Dundee or St. Johnston stringing together the wins that they would need to to try and overhaul where we are but we we could have been in a much much worse position than where we are right now I think we'll get enough in the way of points between now and the end of the season to just make that not a possibility I do believe that I think if we get to the bottom six which is looking incredibly likely although there is still a chance of fourth place um, but yeah I think for everyone involved I think you can tell I think Jim Goodwood probably already knows people who are, who are definitely not going to be here next year um, obviously you've mentioned our source referring to Jet as NRB, which I'm not down with the kids, so I had no idea what that meant. Uh, but yeah, not required back, I think is the term that was meant to, uh, that acronym was meant to suggest. We didn't talk about Hearts, but Hearts, the first goal in particular, well, actually, you know, both goals are unforgivable defending. And yeah, Rangers, much the same. So yeah, I just want this to be, I just, I just want this to be over, quite frankly. You know what? I'm going to say there was a, there was a, there actually was a big difference I felt between the Hearts performance and the performance at Ibrox. I felt that Hearts, we were, we were abject and just so woeful across the pitch. Performances, yes, I understand that, but the goals themselves are unforgivable. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, against Rangers yesterday, defensively, I thought we looked fairly solid actually for most of the game. We didn't really give up much in the way of chances to Rangers. For all the possession they had, they created very little. It's it's a soft to shite goal once again to have conceded. I know that Jim Goodwin was talking about a potential foul on Calvin Ramsey in the build up to the goal. Uh, I, as much as it pains me to say it, and I would love to be trying to say otherwise, I think if that's a free kick, then put it this way: if we had a goal chopped off for that, I'd be raging about it. I, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a free kick. I th- I think that Ojo and Ramsey need to do better at the second ball when it comes in, and then it's a very typical goal from the sense of it ricochets around our box. And how many times this season has a ball like that just fallen at the feet of a striker who's unmarked with about two yards out from goal, um, rather than it falling to a defender to hoof it clear? Yeah, I've seen the take that if it's at the other end of the pitch, does that get given as a foul? And you know what? Maybe it does, but wouldn't make it right. Um, Aribo's handball is the bigger part, but either way, that's still there's enough time to defend the situation better than we do. Absolutely. What I think is interesting, Graham, you kind of touched on as well earlier on about we don't seem to know what we are now um, this season. At the start of the season, we were kind of maybe thinking we're a team that's going to go and score five, but we'll concede four or something. Um, <laughs> that, that never really happened, but there was kind of that inclination that might have been how it would go at, at the very outset of the season. Um, obviously, as the season progressed, that 
that didn't happen. That was kind of before a ball got kicked. <laughs> we're talking in potentially. <laughs> we're talking in you know philosophy documents for you. But I feel that we kind of have gone almost like completely one eighty um, under the new manager. And again, this is not a dig about the new manager. I think this is what was probably to be expected was that he would come in and try to make us difficult to beat before we did anything else. Um, I think that that comment from Goodwin that we'll be able to sort out the defensive stuff in a week is looking a little bit foolish, shall we say, at this point in time. Probably the words of a man who hadn't seen what he actually had to work with. Well, maybe, but so um, perhaps a little bit naive. Naive, yeah. That's, but I thought yesterday was a very Derek McInnes, a latter day Derek McInnes performance against the old firm. It was very rigid, very regimented, without us ever really looking like we we're going to score a goal. And you always knew we were going to concede one, and the chances for us to get back in the game were probably nil. Really frustrated from that perspective. And it's an interesting one because this season, the one thing you could put in Stephen Glass's tick column was that against the bigger teams in the league, and I'm using inverted commas for this one here, we generally played quite well against most of them most times. And we kind of took the game to them a little bit more than we did yesterday. We were very much set up to not get beat yesterday rather than actually having a go. I kind of feel like that's just what we're going to get. I mean... It's how I thought Goodwin would approach. It's how I imagine he approaches games and always will uh, as a manager. I absolutely understand the state we are in. If that's maybe more his natural or his comfort zone, if you like, he's going to try and build with what he knows how to do in terms of if he's more comfortable getting a defence and making us resilient, then yeah, absolutely, by all means, go for that because we definitely do need that. But I do think this is just going to be how he's going to try and set us up. And again... I'm less concerned about the style. So if you can find a way of cutting out the daft goals, that in itself is going to breed a bit of confidence in the team and maybe frustrates the opposition and allows us to you know, build a foothold. And I do think we have some decent attacking talent. We just don't seem to we just don't seem to have a good balance where they are they're either stifled by trying to do defensive duties mm. or the team isn't then freed up to play to their strengths such that they can then you know, go and impose themselves in the attacking edge of the pitch. So um, I think a lot of the, I think I know the three of us would sort of moan about the McInnes games against the old firms almost too um, passive and respectful, yeah. you know, almost. And I really hope we don't get down into that route again. I mean, you, you go way beyond Derek McInnes. For that, well, I, yeah, that's a valid point. That is not, yeah, that's one hundred percent true. That has been a problem for a, a number of years. But you'd kind of hoped maybe a new guy, new ideas. Maybe it's too early um, to take anything from it. But it's not really great that we're all kind of uh, we've been here before. I can understand why Goodwin maybe went with the game plan of just let's just hold it and get a nil-nil draw of this game. And we were very close, very close to it. And if we, we come away from that with a nil-nil draw. Um, against Rangers on the kind of occasion it was for what they thought it was. Let's just say that. Um, you're probably looking at it and thinking, yeah, not bad to get a draw there and get a clean sheet, which we've not seen many of in the last 12, 18 months. You'd be looking at it and saying that's a success and maybe some a foundation to build some confidence going forward. And I think it's just spoke to the fact that we've got nothing in the way of creativity besides probably Bajawin. 
uh, yeah, I, I, mean, we've got some, I think we've got some very good midfielders, but they're not creative types. No. And Bajawin in that in that situation, Bajawin's a very easy player to mark also. You just double team him and that's it. That's our attacking threat gone. So I understand why he's I think like all of us, Goodwin is just wanting the season over, quite frankly. Yeah, quite possibly. I guess the 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 interesting part about this now is going to be about going forward. I think you're right. I think yesterday. Goodwin probably takes a nil-nil every day of the week. Yesterday, if you get out of Dodge with one of those, with the run of form we're on and everything. I would have taken a nil draw yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people were going at that game after Wednesday night, kind of feeling the worst. And I mean, it was in our WhatsApp chat, let's be honest. It was a little bit, but at the same time, I always tempered that with the fact that Rangers are fucking garbage this season. Like, they're not a good team at all. They're so bad that they've only beaten us once this season and we've been terrible this year on the whole they are fucking garbage this season but i can understand why he decided to go to try and get a nil nil get a dodge get back up the road reset because we've got two weeks so well we've got a week off now because we don't have a game next week but at the same time this does become an interesting part about the jim goodwin makeup going forward is around can he adapt from being with no disrespect to st mirren so Minnan go to Ibrox or Parkhead, and if they get a nil-nil draw, that would be a fantastic, fantastic result for St. Mirren. Going forward, not talk about this season, because this season is just a fucking write-off, and where we are at the moment, I think we would all have agreed to take a nil-nil draw yesterday. But going forward, that's not the level of expectation for an Aberdeen manager. Is to you know The level of expectation there is to go to Glasgow and to challenge these teams and put up a, a performance that means you can win all three points, not just take one point through a defensive rearguard action that'll be an interesting to th- thing to see if Goodwin can adapt to that going forward I go back to my last point when he gets a summer and gets to build his own team and he is able to hopefully add creativity to it then yeah that'll be the test yeah, absolutely I mean yesterday's not a that's not the barometer of Jim Goodwin as a football manager of Aberdeen Football Club I, t- I take the point that we played better against them but that was when we had you know Ryan Hedges who it's looking more and more like a disastrous decision to let him go in January, quite frankly, given that we had no one lined up to take his place, shall I say. Yeah. Um, and then also, we would have probably had Marley Watkins for the first game, I would imagine. For the first game, I'm pretty sure I guess, played. So, you know, it's that it's that whole thing. Um, I, I do still think so. I think he's got the, the character and the, the conviction to do so. Um, right now, it's just, it's impossible to say, though, with the the group that he's inherited. Absolutely. Let's try and look at some positives that came out of yesterday's game. For me, and I feel like I've maybe said this a couple of times this season already, but I thought it was probably Declan Galver's best performance in a red shirt yesterday. I think he did all the things that we were probably expecting Declan Galver to come to Aberdeen to do. Appears to be in direct contradiction to episode 32's notes. Interesting. <laughs> no, I, I, from what I've heard, I, yeah, I tend to agree. It would be good if this could now be a, a, a launch pad for Gallagher to go on and do that every day of the week. I feel like we've said this a couple of times that that was the best we've seen him so far. And then the week after, it's been a horror show. And so it'd be good if that could, you know, it's the Kevin Van Veen show. If that could be sorted out, that'd be good. I mean, he, what, he's got two more years left on his deal no, with Aberdeen. He does he? No. It's a three-year contract he signed, wasn't it? I, I think it was quite a long contract. Oh, fucking hell. 
Right. Well, oh well, I'll listen to the confidence now. There, <laughs> he's not the only one who's had a week where he looks reasonable, and then the following week where it looks like he's never played the game before. So where he looks basically competent as a footballer. Right, the jokes aside, they're Are all, you talking all about me at goals last Thursday. No, you weren't even basically competent. Oh no, mate. Um, I, honestly, I thought I'd put my boots on their own feet. Shocker. Although I still not met Gazer for a goal, so. I didn't realise you'd untied your laces. I thought you'd still had your boots together for carrying them. What an absolute shocker. Anyway, sorry. We digress. <laughs> I was going to say, picking on Gallagher is absolutely fine. Um, but everyone in that team has the odd game where they look really good and then can go a couple of games where it looks like they've never played before. So there's something not quite right across the board rather than just picking on him. He signed a two-year deal. Is it two years? I thought it was longer. I thought it was three years, yeah. Two-year deal. Jeez, oh. I've just noticed that Aberdeen manager Stephen Glass described him as one of the country's top centre-backs. There we go. Um, I mean, to be fair, he kind of was actually at the time. Well, and we've, when we've, we've, we've changed that. No danger. What do I even say about Declan Gallagher anymore? I don't know. You kind of... I've kind of like made my position pretty clear. And if I go back on it, I'll appear weak. Yeah, you need to limit, you need, you need to limit this. You need to double, double down. down. Yeah. Don't, don't back down. <laughs> don't back down. Double down. Double down. Uh, pish. No, um, yeah, sounds like it had a good game. We just want a good, solid centre-back at Aberdeen, quite frankly. And if Gallagher's that man, then great. But I've not seen nearly enough in the last um, 10, 11 months to suggest he's going to be the long-term answer here. So I, I, I don't want to cast aspersions, but with the name of Declan Patrick Gallagher, it could just be that he really, really fancied a game against Rangers. Just throwing that out there. Um, Although he did lose his man for the goal, so. Yeah, that's also true. Anyway, uh, Connor Barron, we, we talked about him last week. I feel this is almost now just becoming a a given. According to the BBC's uh, review, he was the player of the match. I probably wouldn't disagree. Um, uh, maybe I would disagree with that, but I thought he was very, very good. However they rate players, he is the man of the match. Thought it was an assured performance from a young man again. We've we've spoken about him a lot already in the last couple of weeks. For a guy playing in that situation for the very first time that he's he's played at Ibrox. Wait, 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 wait sorry, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What? According to the ma- the BBC match review, uh-huh. man of the match is Ryan Jack, <laughs> who is then given a rating in it of 3.97, making him the worst rated player in the Rangers team. Yeah, but is this not the thing about like they'll award a man of the match by whoever it was at the game, but the ratings are done by fan votes, I think. I think the ratings are fan votes. Yeah. So the Rangers fans felt that Ryan Jack was the worst player in their team. I suspect that might be Aberdeen fans. I was um, going to say it's open to be hijacked. <laughs> ah, I see the old Liverpool tactic. Absolutely. Connor Barron, excellent. Did well again in what could be quite an intimidating, you know, uh, atmosphere, etc. Did really well. Really, really delighted with him. That boy is going places. That's the one I've got my eye on at the moment from, from, from Aberdeen. Ross McCrory, I thought, was excellent. Back in the centre of the park again. First half, he did really, really well at um, stifling the way that Rangers wanted to play. Really good. Good to see him back in the centre of the park. Gave us legs in there as well. It's just showing, Gav, I think you spoke about it last week, what we've kind of maybe been missing. Um, I'm sorry, I'm now reading the review. And is there anything worse than when like a Rangers player patronizes you? Why was that? Glenn Kamara Aberdeen worked really hard and they really put us to the test. Excellent. Thanks, Thanks Glenn. Uh yeah, Ross McCrory. Yeah. What we talked about last week. Um 
with regards if he came back and was available. Um, he's in my team every single day of the week over, quite frankly, over the our captain that missed the game. Uh, yeah, um, we can maybe come on to that in a minute. Bijouin, I thought first half did really well. Had to beat Nabarasic. All ends up, worked his socks off throughout. Stifled from any sort of service in the second half. But he had Barisic worried slash troubled to the extent that they had to hook Barisic. And they put um, Balogun on and, and moved Bassi out to left wing. And at that point, we just stopped giving the ball to Bijouin, which was, you know, helpful. Let's just, you know, be frank. Barisic is not a bad fullback, actually. So... He's not been great this season, in fairness, but he's not. Yeah, he's not. He's not bad. So for Bajawan to go there and take him on, and yeah, like you say, basically, basically force the manager to take him off is a is a very good sign. And yeah, all the highlights I've seen of the game, I did again. I didn't see this game, so I'm not gonna pretend I did. But all the highlights I have seen suggest that Bajawan was certainly doing his uh, doing his bit in terms of defensive work. So yeah, yeah, well done, Vicente. So that's the positives. The not so good ifs. Another one of those games that just passed Christian Ramirez by completely. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, he didn't miss like a glaring clear cut opportunity because we didn't create one. But the amount of times that the ball got pumped up the park and you're looking for your centre forwards, your number nine there to hold the ball or to win a foul or to do something to help you get up the pitch. And inevitably the ball just got stolen back quite easily by Rangers and then they just recycled and put us under pressure again was kind of criminal it's it's fair to say it's been a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde season in terms of Ramirez's performances and usually it comes back to whether he's scored or not if that's the good side um, for my money this is a guy that's counting down his days till he's back in America um, I don't think he'll be here next season and yeah just it's more than I've seen this season at any point the Twitter verse appears to be kind of becoming quite critical of Ramirez's performances, and I don't completely blame them. Graham, uh, I think going back to I don't really feel the team or successive managers have decided how we're going to play. I don't think they know what to do with like so Ramirez. I, I like him. He has scored quite a number of goals in what's been a pretty poor and not particularly creative team. So you got to do one of two things, in my opinion you've got to get balls in the box and give him chances or you, basically there's no point in playing him because he's not particularly quick so you can't put into the channel or over the top and he'll burst free. So you don't really have that option. He's not the biggest physically so you can't really shell it up to him and with the greatest respect, I mean, as we absolutely put in a shift but even playing the ball into feet to get him to hold it off and maybe play someone in. Yeah, he can't do it now and again, but I wouldn't really say that's his game either. So I think he's quite good in the box, but if you're not going to have a go at the opposition, what's the point? Honestly, don't play him. Just, um, I don't know if Michael Roos got any pace, for example, but just put someone on and just do something different. It will mean we are just shelling balls into the channel, but it gives us some other option. I just don't think we're making the most of Ramirez, who I do think is a decent goal scorer. But again, he's kind of suffering from this sort of period of limbo that we're in, that we're not one thing or another. On you go, Gav. Well, I was just going to say, listen, he is, I'm just checking it here, he is the joint third top goal scorer in the SPL right now. Yeah. Which is no mean feat, given that, as Graham said, we do not 
generally speaking, create chances. So, and he doesn't take penalties. Yep. Yeah, he doesn't take penalties. So he's doing, he is doing his bit. You can't say he's not. And he's, like Graham said, it's not a case that he doesn't work hard. That's a given. We've seen that. But like, do you guys remember the John Smith Peter K adverts? Jesus, like, God. have it. When he's pitching up to like the Sunday league and like the ball's getting knocked around and then he just fucking leathers it. Yeah. Like, how many times does Hazard Ramirez just done that out of sheer instinct where he just leathers the ball away from as far away from as possible? Yeah. And at the age of 30, you're like, is he going to learn to improve that side of his game? I don't know. Are we going to be good enough in the next couple of years to just effectively carry a goal scorer? Which sounds crazy, but I think you know the point I'm trying to make here. Like you say, in games like yesterday, when we need an outlet, he's never going to be that player. No, I, this is the thing, isn't it? Like, I feel that I feel this is an entire upcoming segment called like the Christian Ramirez conundrum or something, right? Like, I had a massive argument with a guy on Twitter on Wednesday night about Ramirez. You having an argument on Twitter? Never. I know. Imagine who would that be? Because it's like, you know what? If you're arguing with one of us on Twitter, it's Gary. By the way, it's pretty much that's, never me. That's not true. That's I mean, ever true. since I pwned that Newcastle fan I've, I've, I've <laughs> retired I've retired undefeated that's fair enough there was like a couple of people like really digging into him after Wednesday night and it was like yeah I get it but it's that thing about if you have eyes right Ramirez is a very limited football player right and I don't mean that with any disrespect to the guy because he signed off our iron brew ball for us and everything on um absolutely love Christian really? Ramirez. I'm just going to say that right now. Yeah, I, I love his like enthusiasm. I love his infectiousness about like, I love the fact that he's really embraced being in Aberdeen and all that kind of good stuff. And that's great. As a, as a, as a professional footballer, he has limitations, right? And I, think, and I think he would be open enough to admit that himself, right? I don't think he's going to try and pretend otherwise. There's been like, it's so many times this season, Graham, you're right. We've all seen it. In a game like that yesterday, he's not the guy you want leading the line. Because let's be frank, it's unlikely we're going to create the type of chances that Ramirez thrives on. We're not going to have the luxury of being able to play with enough possession that we can get the ball wide to players, fling balls into the box. And even if he misses three or four, it'll be all right because he's still getting seven or eight chances in the game or whatever. It's not that type of game. If you've decided as well as a manager to set up in the way that you have relatively defensively, you need someone that if the ball gets pumped up to them, they can either A, as you say, Graham, run the channels, put defences under pressure from that perspective, or B, they can take the ball in, they can hold it, they can win free kicks, or they can lay it off to people, get up the park and get us moving. He can't do any of that. And it's not a dick at him. It's just it's just fact, like from what we've seen. Because and it's such a fact that last week when he pulled the ball down against United in the, in the centre midfield, spun... And pass the ball out to Bajau and I think Ojo. Ojo, sorry, in the lead up to the the goal, we were all at that point going shit. That's a that's that's good. That's more of what we need to see. It's not happening enough for that to feel like it's routine. That was something that made us all go. He's done well there, and I, I feel really sorry for him because I feel like he's like I actually feel like he's being hung out to dry is the wrong word, but he's being asked to fulfill a role he can't do, or he struggles to do. And this goes all the way back to the issues we've spoken about already, which is just the fact that we have literally no fucking option to replace him with. 
do you remember back in McInnes era when Rooney would not play games and the individual mm-hmm. who most recently has been banned from Broadwood Stadium would come in and play? Yes. I think if you were, if you were available, Marley Watkins would have played the last two games. Not Broadwood. Is it Broadwood? New Broadwood. New Broadwood Stadium. People know who I'm talking about. It's not the time for pedantry. It's always the time for pedantry. <laughs> that's why I get... <laughs> Only if I'm doing it. That's why I get insights on Twitter. <laughs> that could be a new tagline for the podcast. Um, Marley Watkins would have started the last two games, I think. I agree. If, we're, if you were available and led the line and Marley Watkins maybe doesn't have the natural finishing instincts or quality, but yeah, he does that job a lot better. So yeah, it's just, it's uh, it's a reflection of poor recruitment. That's the simple fact of the matter. And we're going to come on to recruitment in a much wider sense later in the show. We're going to use the word recruitment a lot. We are, absolutely. That's probably enough about Ramirez just now. I, I, I just, I don't know. Uh, this argument I had with this guy, it was like, if you take Ramirez's goals out of our league campaign this season, we'd be in a fucking horrendous place right now. And then there was an argument about, well, we would have bought another guy and he could have been better, he could have been worse. It's like, yeah, could have, would have, should have, maybe, if my auntie had balls, all that kind of argument, right? The fact of the matter is, he's who we've got. His only other competition in the start in the, in the squad for that slot would be Jet. I tell you what, it's going to be an amazing last eight games for Jet. <laughs> yeah, right. That's 20 goals coming. What's, what does that work out to be? Well, that's why we're going to finish <laughs> top four, baby. Um <laughs> Jet ain't scoring. What's Ramirez on now in the league? 11? Uh, 10. 10? Okay. So 15 overall, I believe. Yeah. Jet ain't scoring that in the league this season, is he? If, if you put him if you put him in the team as we've played all season so far, he ain't getting that number of goals. That ain't happening. I will go to Graham Steele for an immediate response. <laughs> He's not, is the answer. But look, <laughs> one of their biggest problems is to, to a degree, it's irrelevant who is occupying the position that generally yeah. has been given to Ramirez because we just don't create enough chances. We don't we don't dominate teams with any sort of intensity and aggression. You know, we were dominating teams early on by passing it between the midfield and the defence. So the opposition's all basically recovered, set back in their position. So I understand people's frustrations with Ramirez, but I think it, it's academic who plays up front in this current team. I don't see who would score any more goals. Jokes about Jet aside, it's that Draven Watkins. And I think I think we've discussed this before. Ramirez's weaknesses are being exposed yes. by the way we're using him. We're not highlight we're not working on the good things that he has to the game. And I think the fact that he has scored the number of goals in his first season in a new country, new style, and in a pretty woeful team to me, shows that he's perfectly capable of playing in the league and playing for Aberdeen. We need to find a way of helping him out and giving him the tools to do his job. And if if, if the manager's unwilling to get, you know, go wide and balls into the box, then there's no point in playing him. Do you two gentlemen share my belief that he's counting down his days at Aberdeen? Well, well, this is what this is what got me into the argument in the first place on Wednesday night because I made the point about the fact that if I was Ramirez right now, or after the second goal on Wednesday night, right? So I need to jump back a second here, right? The 
second goal we lose on Wednesday night is criminal at Hearts. It's a fucking terrible goal to lose. Lots of people were highlighting the fact that Ramirez got out jumped by Kingsley for the goal. And then he also decides after he's been beaten in the air, he tries to buy a free kick off the referee because he goes down holding the back of his head, trying to make it look like he's been fouled, right? And there was a still image of him of the header or just after the headers happen and Ramirez is like this. And I'd made the point about the fact that after the goal goes in, Gallagher stands there and he starts fucking mouthing off in the direction of Ramirez, I think. And my general point was, if I was Ramirez right now, I would be out of here in the summer. Fuck this. If Declan Gallagher, who's contributed the square root of fuck all in his entire time at Aberdeen so far, notwithstanding the fact he had a, a decent game on Saturday at Ibrox, is given out to him for the comparative um, value to the team that those two players have brought this season. I would be like, if I was Ramirez, I'd be like, you know what, mate? Fuck you. Maybe I did make a bit of a mistake there. He got caught zonally defending. He got caught with a guy on a run from behind him. You couldn't see him coming. We all know if you're a player, a standing jump versus a guy who's got a running leap on you, you're a sitting duck anyway. Yeah? Like, I think it was Ferguson who probably should have been marking Kingsley, I think. Gallagher's also just watching it develop in front of him. He does nothing to stop it either. I made a very flippant point about the fact that if I was Ramirez, I would be like, you know what? Fuck this. If you're giving out to me for what we've brought to the team this season, fuck you. was kind of my point. And this then spilled into something different. It's a very long way of saying, I don't know. <laughs> like. I don't know. I think he likes being here. I think he enjoys playing in Europe. He's got a two a two year deal. I think years. Yeah. Um. He's on a decent wedge at Aberdeen. Chances are he's probably not getting that sort of wedge back in in the states. Um. My very real impression is that he came to play for the previous manager. I think there's an element of that. And I think and I think off the back of what he's done in the SPL, he could probably go back to the MLS and make very yeah. comparative, if not more money whilst perhaps, you know, planning more long-term for his future and his family. So uh, there's there's maybe an element of that. If I were a betting man, and I am, he won't be here at the start of next season. And that'll be a shame, by the way. Graham, sorry, I went on a really long-winded way of saying I don't really know, to be honest. Gary went on a really strange tangent where he just brought up the point that he would go into an argument on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, I have no idea where we are. I just know it's quarter to 11 on Sunday night, and I'm now completely confused with where we are, actually. In this episode, thanks that, Gary. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. I'm going to go get our beer in a minute. Just to ever listen, these are the times that we record till for your benefit. Absolutely, and I'm waiting to get another beer to make things worse for the for the next. Uh, I've already put in order for another glass of Rioja. Nice, I like that. And that is why I am the posh one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the other not so good ifs part of the game. I thought we were worryingly defensive second half, considering we'd actually done quite well in the first half without. Creating a clear-cut chance, I felt we were still troubling Rangers enough at the back. We were pressing them in high areas, like I touched on. Uh, Bajouin did well enough that Barisic got hooked shortly afterwards. I don't understand why we just decided at that point to get more and more entrenched in our defensive positions. I think part of it was because we, we got outdone by a bit of a tactical switch that we just didn't seem to react to. That worries me a little bit about our new manager in the dugout just the fact that we didn't seem to react to that tactical switch by Rangers where they kind of moved when they brought brought Balogun on for Barisic moved Bassi to left left back they kind of switched that diamond and 
we just didn't get to grips with it at all. And and that happened pretty early in the second half and we just never reacted to it. I tell you what, this is a bold point to bring up to two people who've not watched the game. Yeah, that's true. I'm I'm kind of making it more, <laughs> I guess, for um Graham, do you want to bluff your way through this? <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. But all I will say is it's early days for Goodwin and his players. So maybe he was trying to get the message across and they weren't quite sure, you know, what it was he was um he was trying to achieve on the pitch. So I'm sure it'll all get resolved and this time next year we'll be chuckling at the idea that Jim Goodwin could be out tactic. <laughs> That was an amazingly <laughs> diplomatic answer. I like that. That was good. I liked it. Maybe he just forgot his stationery and he couldn't write notes out for the players. So, yeah, he couldn't get the tactical points across. Just didn't write shoot. He was on the side saying, why is the fucking logo on every page? I can't see my writing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe a Rangers player nicked it off. Like one of our players, like Scott Brown did, I think, to Graham Shinney. That's right, it was Scott Brown, that's right, absolutely. Gav's being brought in his Rioka now. Lovely. Excellent. Look at him, sniffing that line. Ah, uh, Tesco, three ninety nine. Now, um, Gav, careful, that's, that's, that's shilling. He's also trying to pretend to be a man of the people. There's no way he spends that little on his Rioka. Speaking about shilling, wait till people listen to next week's episode. That's going to be like... Oh, is that when the thing starts? I think that's when we need to do the thing. And ah, yes. We're going to get a lot of hate about that. I some, some are going to come after us. Some might come after us. That, that's for sure. Um, um, what were we talking about again? I was just going to move us on. Top Don. <laughs> uh, top Don. Um, according to everyone, it's Connor Barron. So Connor Barron. Graham. Yeah, whoever. Graham's taking his glasses off. <laughs> No idea what's going on here. Top Dons. <laughs> uh, I would go Ross McCrory, actually. I thought he was really good. Connor Barron, a close second. On that note, let's uh, move on. I feel that was somewhat shambolic, but it was quite entertaining. So. Yeah, I think it's entertaining, so it's fine. This is what happens when we've all been drinking, so it's all good. Uh, Graham's not been drinking, have you? No, I uh, ripped the arse out of it this weekend, so... Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> So let's look at the women's team. After a chastening 10-1 defeat at the hands of reigning champions Glasgow City in midweek, uh, Emma Hunter and Gavin Beeside had to dust themselves off this afternoon at the Balmoral for the visit of Celtic. Uh, Celtic taking all three points back to Glasgow after a fairly comfortable uh, performance. Saw them run out 3-0 winners over Aberdeen at the Balmoral. Charlie Wellings with uh, early goal, nine minutes for the visitors. Second half goals from Jacinta and Tegan Bowie, sealing a deserved win for the visitors. I think what we'd probably say here is that it's representing the scale of the challenge. And I think Laura Montgomery talks about this in our interview with her, uh, where she went into great detail about the women's game in Scotland, that Aberdeen have got a real challenge in terms of progression when you taking into consideration Glasgow City, Celtic and Rangers being professional teams. So all learning curve, but yeah, um, I think the season has shown that Emma Hunter and co have got the, the nose and ability to over time make that, make that progression. Yeah. They're still in a very healthy position. Like it's yeah. It's the, the Glasgow City is a pretty painful scoreline, but we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that they've been on a really quite a good run prior to that. And I think, as you've just said, the, 
the league structure, and I guess Aberdeen are kind of in their infancy, but it's not too dissimilar to uh, the top flight for the men. Just that the, the top teams are significantly better and have better resources than the rest. And we are just trying to find our way in the league, etc. So it's a bit of a sore one to take, but overall, um, I don't think we really should be focusing in too much on that. They had been on a good run, and as you said, I think they're in pretty good shape in the table, all things considered. So hopefully um, this doesn't really dent their confidence too much and they can just uh, get going, put a, put a little run together again and uh, hopefully push up the table a little bit. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, next up it's Partick Thistle. Um next week away uh, Thistle sitting in 8th position at the moment the table 3 points off of Aberdeen Aberdeen 6th tonight um, just a point behind Spartans but they've got 2 games in hand on Spartans I mean I think we spoke about it I think last week uh, we'll talk about Lauren Montgomery when we come on to the interview later on tonight as well that for Aberdeen this season if they finish 5th in the table that would be a, a pretty good achievement actually I mean you've got Glasgow City Rangers Celtic the 3 professional sides in the league Hibs are well established at, at, at women's football level in the top flight. So they, they would be the, the fourth team you would imagine. To finish fifth in your debut season would be not a bad not a bad showing at all um, from Emma Hunter Gabby's team. I'm sure that's what they're aiming for. So fingers crossed they can, as you say, dust themselves down after that. Also, maybe worth mentioning that they're going to get the chance to play at Pataudry. Yes, yeah, good on shout. On Wednesday yeah, the 23rd, um, they're at home to, to Rangers. So hopefully, I don't know what the script is if you get access with your season ticket or if it's the usual sort of fiver that you so it's only about a fiver at the Balmoral isn't it it's a fiver at the Balmoral yes um, so r- regardless it was of what they do hopefully the the fact that it's a pedodry, um that might attract the usual suspects and maybe get some other people through the door and hopefully they can get a decent crowd and hopefully they can get the three points even if the prices rise a little bit to, rep- to reflect you know the increased number of staff or whatever they need to work that night would still I thoroughly encourage everyone that who can get along to go along and support the girls. Yeah, I mean, they've not announced what that's going to look like. I would like to think, I know you're saying that there's going to be like increased costs, etc. I'd like to think that what they do is they make that free entry for season ticket holders this season. That would hopefully encourage people to get along more than maybe necessarily would ordinarily. Or a fiver. Graham, you and I went to the under-20s match when they won the league, and I'm pretty sure, was that free entry? I think that was free if you had yeah. definitely if you had your season ticket it might have just been free mm-hmm. so I would hope they would do something just as an incentive it, it's not I think this is the first time they're getting to play but Audrey yes, um, yeah. so you'd hope they would probably just make it free across the board regardless of season tickets or whatever, and just try and get a decent crowd in because there will be a hardcore that go regardless but if you can get a few extra people in and they think oh do you know what this is decent. I enjoyed that. I'll look out for that the next time they're around. Maybe just, you know, it's baby steps, but you get a handful of people at a time. They tell their pals, they go along, and you start to to improve your gait. So, um, yeah, hopefully they can do something. But, yeah, there's been some good initiatives in this from a lot of the teams this season already, I think. Hibs and Hearts reciprocated there. The Edinburgh Derbys being at Easter Road and Tynecastle. There were some huge attendances for that this season. Obviously, the, the national team are playing all of their... Um, competitive fixtures at Hampden Park this season. It's great that the the club are doing this. I hope that they get a big um, big crowd in on Wednesday night. Big game as well. Rangers are, are going well at the top of the table. They're in second place as of this evening, although they've got two games in hand on Glasgow City. It's going to be quite a tight race, I think, between Glasgow City and Rangers towards the back end of the season. 
if Aberdeen can't win it, then I'd like the Laura Montgomery's team do it because Laura's a dandy and she talks really well in the interview that's coming up afterwards with us. I'd encourage everyone to have a listen to that. It's really good stuff. But yeah, the women's team next week, Park Thistle away. Fingers crossed they can get back on to winning ways. Let's move on. On to the young team, Barry Robson and Scott Anderson's side. They suffered their second defeat of the season to fucking Motherwell on Tuesday at Cormac Park. What is it about Motherwell? Like, what is it? They don't seem to be able to beat anyone else this season, but they're quite good at beating us in basically every guise they play us. I feel like they're the modern-day Greenick Morton for anyone who, like, supported the team in the 80s, you know, who would just be fucking horseshit for the whole season, but somehow continue to beat, like, a European Cup-winning cup site. Never mind. Fine first-half performance from the Steel Boys. See what I did there? In the cast under-18 league at Cormac Park, enough to secure the win on Tuesday evening. Visitors grabbing opening goal within 90 seconds of kickoff, a goal straight from a corner kick by Bailey Rice, uh, putting the young Dons onto the back foot from the off. It was two on 40 minutes. Fatona, a judge to have brought down Spears in the box. Miller sending Shingler the wrong way from the spot to double Mother was lead. And it was all over on 42 minutes. Wilson, and presuming not James, allowed to run unchallenged for 20 yards before firing past maybe Barry. Maybe Barry Barry Wilson playing in an under-18s fixture. Lovely stuff. Stranger things have happened. Uh, Wilson allowed to run unchallenged for 20 yards before fighting past Shingler from the edge of the box. Halftime, 3-0. All to do for the Dons. Bavage with a decent effort for Aberdeen, saved by Connolly just after the break before Bavage then set up Harvey with a great chance, but he got his finish all wrong. And, well, clear. Liam Harvey thought he'd pulled one back for the host on 70 minutes. But the offside flag denied the Dons with the chance to stage a late comeback as time ran down and Motherwell left with all three points. That sounds like a pretty familiar fucking tale for the season, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's just nice to not hear the words Kevin Van Veen in the match report. <laughs> On to Lone Watch. Another 90 minutes for Luke Turner as Cliftonville saw off Cole Rain by two goals to one in the Norwich Irish Cup quarterfinals. Still no space for Mark Gallagher in the Cliftonville matchday squad. I've just realised that every time I do that joke now, if no one's listened to any of our previous shows, they're going to be like, what the fuck is this guy on about? Since when have we considered what anyone else finds funny? That is very fair and very true. No place for Jack McIver in the Huntley side that went down by three goals to know a Bucky Thistle in the Highland League. Elsewhere, Kieran Iguenia with another 90 minutes under his belt as they beat Cowden Beath by a single goal in a... That's a Fife derby, isn't it? Kelty and Cowdenbeath. Yeah. 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 Feisty. By a single goal in League Two. Evan Towler played the 73 minutes as Elgin City drew 0-0 with fourth for Athletic. No sign of Tyler Makaita in the matchday squad for Elgin in this one. Mason Hancock didn't make the squad for Sterling Albion as they went down by a solitary goal at home to Stenhouse Muir. Ryan Duncan not in the squad as Peter Head were thumped by five goals to two at Cove. And finally, Dean Campbell came off the bench in injury time as Kilmarnock saw off Hamilton Ackies 2-0 in the championship. Fantasy football this week. Right, I made the bold move after not looking at my team for about 10 weeks to transfer a whole bunch of people in and out. Cost myself 12 points, I think, in the process. And it's paid off with 26 points this week. And I've made the horrendous decision to have put Benjamin Seagreast as my number one goalkeeper. He got... Zero points this week. Who's sitting on my bench? Xander Clark, who had 10 points this week. So that is some top quality managerial action on my part. 
Well, I mean, I'm just gonna I'm gonna take a step back to week 29. I got 61 points in midweek, which is a, a vast improvement. And I've handicapped myself by putting two Aberdeen attacking players in there, so I feel like I should get double points for that. Um, this week, 35 points. Boyce and Jota making up most of those. So not much to not much to write home about. Yeah, I only had 16 this week, which is Oof. abysmal. Oof. Although I feel like I've had the curse of transfers. I put Nicky Devlin into my team this week. So I thought Livy've been going quite well. So I thought a wee defender, that's not a bad shout. He uh, minus one points today. He had an own goal for minus two, which was good. And then because also they could see the three goals, minus two for that. So uh, yeah, Nicky Devlin, minus one. Lovely stuff. Gab, you can take the leaderboard from here. I was just going to say our friend Liam at the Almond View podcast, not the Almond Vale podcast, um, as he quite correctly pointed out to us. Well, uh, would probably have endorsed that decision, but um, not a good day at the office for Livy, shall we just say. Uh, leaderboard, Jack Curran, the two turkeys, they maintain their place at the top of our league. Only 31 points for Jack, but he still has over a 100-point lead over our pick. Whether we should be revealing this or not, he is our pick. Steve Brown, gold, frankincense and Gurr sitting on 1,777 points. And in third place, Old Kent Road. Oliver Curran takes his place in the medal positions in place of Hafid Zuri with the Kingdom of Morocco. All to play for in terms of getting into that top three. Some good prizes still to be won. Let's move on. So this is a feature we're going to call Where Has It All Gone Wrong? With no games to preview this week, we thought be good to spend some time having a bit of a chat and where we think it's yeah you know, all gone wrong this season. And it's probably kind of easy to point the finger at, you know, Stephen Glass or Scott Brown or Jet Graham or Stephen Gunn or even at Dave Cormack, because let's be quite honest, this sort of season has been telegraphed for quite some time. Now, if you ask any Aberdeen fan of a certain age, what was the worst moment or day they've had? As a Dons fan, it's fair to say a large chunk of people will point towards Saturday, the 11th of May, 1991, the day we travelled to Ibrox needing a draw to win the league and ended up with nothing. Now, Graham, Gav, respectively, you're either too young or you didn't follow the Dons at the time to appreciate that day in 1991. But if you personally right now had to pick your lowest feeling, your lowest moment as an Aberdeen fan, what would you pick? Graham, I'll let you go first. Being in the South semi-final was... Pretty woeful all round. That was, um, I don't know. I feel like in all the time I've gone, we've never really been in touching distance in the league, really. I know we feel like we, um, we ran Celtic like closer than normal under Dyla and bits and pieces of that, but it was closer than it has been. And it's not ifs, buts, and maybes, but it's not like it was tangible, a few points, and then we just fell apart or something like that. And I don't think we've ever been, we've been down at the bottom, but then we've got away from it. So we've not really had any sort of really nervous times at that. So I think all my bad things are just blown opportunities, usually in the cup competitions, to be honest. Like I've not I've not had anything catastrophic. Like I know some of the, the cup defeats, some of them are really bad, but I've not had the sort of devastation of almost clinching a title and then not. But I've also not had the absolute terrible fear where we genuinely are right down at the bottom and we're in a playoff or something like that. So 
I, th- I don't know if I've had anything that's as bad as, you know, the, the highs and the lows that you've maybe had, but plenty of frustrations and blown opportunities. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about this all day, actually, when I, since I first saw the... Um... The script for today's show. Um, Not scripted. Don't give away the magic, Gav. When I say script, I mean cue cards. Let's call it that. Gary has not written out every single word we... Gary did not create a character for Game Still where he hates Jet at the beginning of the season. Let's just say that. <laughs> um, two things come to mind. There'd be the Celtic final. Was it the final? Was it a semi-final? League Which Cup? one? When we got beat 3-0, when Dom Ball got sent off that early was, doors. That, that was... Uh... That was a final, wasn't it? Yeah, because we beat Rangers in the semi-final. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah so right. it was a final. Um, yeah, when Don Ball gets sent off and they Forrest scores, and then I can't remember who scores. Rogic scores a free kick. Ferguson gets sent off, and Rogic scores the free kick straight after. That's the only time in like twenty years I can think of actually leaving a game early. Yeah, so that'll be up there. Um, truth be told, right now is not too far away. Yeah, absolutely. If I was being completely honest, if it wasn't for this podcast. I'm not sure how invested I'd be in the team right now. And I don't know if I should thank you two or besmirch your name on air. I know. For that being the case. Um, yeah. I'm just gonna call it what it is. The glass era has really disenfranchised me a lot. Yeah, I mean, what a fucking year to decide to start a podcast, but never mind. Um, as you correctly pointed out, though, who starts a podcast when you're winning? Exactly. What have you got to- how boring is that? <laughs> what have you got to talk about? That right, was lads, good today. What what do you think? Yep. Scored three great goals. Cool. See you next week. Um, see, right. I think they're interesting answers, and I'm going to come back to something in a second. So, like, from, so from my perspective, I don't think that the club has ever really recovered from that day at Ibrox in 1991, full stop. Um, because I think that that result precipitated much of what's followed ever since that point for Aberdeen. And I'm going to come on to where I think things have got wrong this season in a couple of minutes. Because um, I don't think it's 1991. I'll come back to that in a minute. But I just feel that if you look at the club at 91 stage, you know, Alex Smith never really recovered. Faced with the support after that game, he kind of decided to switch tactics that day. That, of course, heaped a bunch of pressure on him the following campaign after a bunch of dodgy results. The clamour for his removal that following season was so big that the board had little option. But to dispense with his services, the installation of Willie Miller seemed inspired in the short term and especially that 92-93 side we've spoken about it guys enough with players from that team a really joyous side filled with verve attacking football but one that ultimately came up just short in every competition and Willie's drive as a man and as a player meant he couldn't bear to be second best and then what followed after that was with the best intentions a fucking disaster and with him at the helm there was every chance we were relegated in the 94-95 season Roy Aitken gets brought in. It's a sticking plaster. We get a bounce. We avoid the drop through the great escape. That bounce carries on into the following season. We get to stick a League Cup trophy into the into the cabinet. But then things all turn to shit again very quickly thereafterwards. Aitken followed by Alex fucking Miller, followed by Ebb. Ebb, a curveball appointment that eventually paid some dividends, a return to European football, but with a wage bill that was fucking eye-watering at the time. Then Steve Patterson, we don't need to talk about that. Then Jimmy Jimmy, a, a pair who restored an element of pride in the club to an extent, but for every Dnipro or Copenhagen, there was a Queen's Park, a Gretna or a Queen in the fucking South waiting around the corner. Then Dingus, we don't need to talk about him. Gretna? Yeah, we got beat by Gretna and 
their top flight status at Fir Park if in front of about six hundred people. Yeah, myself and uh Power Robson were there. Yeah, they were going, oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, there we go. Then Dingus, don't need to speak about him. Then Shagger Brown. And then Dell. Right. And then all of a sudden, everything kind of starts to click again when McInnes comes in. You know, we, we land a bit fortunate. There's a top flight that doesn't have one half of the Ugly Sisters for a period. We make some shrewd signings to kind of build on a, a solid base that we put in place. We win a trophy for the first time in 19 years. Should have been a double, but let's not, we'll let that slide here. We push the challenge to the title, fall a bit short, but there's cup finals. There's cup semi-finals, which are bare minimum expectations for Aberdeen, I would suggest. They become a regular occurrence. It's a team building year on year and year to become contenders. And then enter Brendan Rodgers at Celtic Park. And it, it felt to me at the time that Derek McInnes' Aberdeen side was building and building all the way towards that 2016-2017 campaign. That was a squad that was pretty much at its peak in terms of playing staff and form. Brendan Rodgers comes in and ruins it all, Right. It's a Celtic side who sweep to an unbeaten league and League Cup double. We then are obviously runners-up in both of those. We get to the final showdown, the Scottish Cup, May 27th, 2017. Now, we don't need to dwell on that Scottish Cup final itself. Story's well told, and I don't want to post that picture again to give Johnny Main palpitations. But I will. But it's my contention, and I don't know if you two will agree with me on this, but it's my contention that... The 27th of May 2017 is about as close as I can put us to 11th of May 1991. It's the point in which I think right now I can point to where our current state of affairs can be traced all the way back to. And the reason I'm going to suggest this is because after that game, that squad began to break apart or splinter apart for various different reasons. Ash Taylor decided he wanted a big move to, let me check my notes, Northampton Town. Mark Reynolds began to become a more less used player. Injuries also started to kind of play a bit of a factor in that. Kenny McLean would have one more season with Aberdeen, then he would go to Norwich City. Um, a certain somebody did the dirty and signed for Sevco. Johnny Hayes went to Celtic. Now McGinn departed for South Korea to try out their version of Tinder for six months. Adam Rooney became less and less influential. Peter Pollitt's initial flurry under McInnes had kind of begun to Peter, pardon the punt. And he moved to the dawns of a Milton Keynes variety that summer. And then truth be told, we talk a lot about recruitment in January this year or recruitment in the summer or recruitment in January last year as being the issues. But if we're honest, player recruitment, we've been failing miserably since that cup final. And I think it's worth just taking a look at who's come in the door at Pataudry since that day. Let's have a look at who are the hits, who are the misses, who are the maybes, because there are a few in there as well. And let's just have a look at what we've actually done in recruitment since that day. How does that sound? Depressing, I know. Yeah. Yeah, let's go for it. We'll do this rapid fire as well. All right, we're not going to dwell on these guys and give up. I was going to say, I mean, I, I tend to think that regardless of what the result would have been that day, most of those players still leave. That could very well be the case. It's not so much about what the result was. It's just, uh, it's just I know, a very I, I know the kind of, it's kind of like a pinpoint in history. But yeah, I yeah. think... With the exception of maybe Ash, all those players leave. I don't disagree with that. I think that there's an argument to say that potentially you could recruit better if you win the cup, for example, because you've got a story to tell. I think we sh- I think we should still be able to recruit better anyway because we finished second in all competitions to a Celtic side that were unbeaten that year. Rangers are back in the league at this point, aren't they? Uh, yes, they were, yeah. 
Ah, Derek McInnes, in a way, had and listen, anyone that wants to uh, to avoid any doubt, I think Derek McInnes did a very good job at Aberdeen, all things told. But it was kind of the perfect storm of Rangers being out of the league when he took over, and we could get players like Kenny McLean and Graham Shinney because, let's be honest, if they were still in the league, they'd have just stockpiled players like that. Quite possibly. So anyway, but yeah, I just wanted to get that across. Are we ready? Nope. But let's do it anyway. Hit miss, maybe. So the 2017-18, this is our recruitment that season. Greg Tanzi. Miss. Miss. <laughs> Big miss. Graham? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I did read, I don't know if you read bits and pieces that, you know, he's done the odd interview recently. Yeah. I don't know if we, as a club, necessarily cover ourselves in glory with the way we maybe treated him, but uh, didn't work in the pitch. That's absolutely a fact. One thing I'll say about that interview, though, right? Greg Tansy said he lived in Inveruri, which was a tiny village. That's not true. And second, he said there was no boozers in Inveruri. That's also bullshit, Greg. I live here. There's at least seven. Yeah. I should say those are the not bits of the article I was referring to. Because I did take umbrage with that, and he's factually incorrect. And exactly. I will easily take him out for a tear-up in Inveruri to prove that he was wrong. Tell you what, though. Bigger miss if we'd actually paid money for him. That's true. That is true. Right. Nicky Maynard. Miss. <laughs> uh, is that Nicky Maynard of our worst 11? That fame? is Nicky Maynard of our worst 11. Fame. Well, I actually like, no, miss. Gary Mackay Stephen. Hit. Ooh. This is where I'm, so I, I kind of think he probably was because he was decent, but the problem with Gary Mackay Stephen is he is inconsistent. So, like, I feel like he was a decent player because all he's not got any better or worse since we had him. But he is, because he's so inconsistent, it's difficult to say that he was a, an outright hit. I'd put Mackay Stephen in the maybe pile. Yeah, I'd probably go with that. I liked GMS as a player. I thought he was one of those that got you out of your seat when he got the ball because you know what he could do. He scored a fair number of goals. Um, once he got his confidence back, because I remember, like, it was that Motherwell game that we got pumped 3-0 in the cup. And yeah. He didn't get the ball all game, but he got it once. And he started to run at the right back, who I think was Richard Tate. And then he just turned back and passed it back the way. His confidence was shot when he came here. Um, I think when he got into it, he became a very good player for us. And yeah, like I say, scored some goals. Um, on the whole, I would make Garrett because he's been a hit. It's an impassioned defence, Gav, but you've already been outvoted 2-1, to one, so he's a maybe. Uh, Carrie Arneson, his second spell at Aberdeen. I think Carrie himself has said he was a miss. It's a so, miss for me. Yeah. I, as much as I love Carrie, he's, I think he's... First time out, he was great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, second time, just didn't click for whatever reason. And he's admitted that, so I don't think yeah. I'm being un- unfair. As much as I love Carrie, he's probably been the coolest dude we've spoken to, I think, on the pod so far, I think. As in company excluded. <laughs> I think he did embrace the uh, the role of helping Scott McKenna in, so that can't yeah. be forgotten about but yeah. Uh, yeah as Caddy has said himself miss top man who also gave us those two shirts to auction off which we've done now or raffled off oh, by the way yeah thank you so much Mr Caddy Arneson yeah top man that's a thousand pounds going to be going to um, the Voice of Children Foundation in Ukraine that's going to go out there this week Great stuff to everyone who's entered. We'll get the prize draw done. Hopefully around the time this show goes out, you'll get your frame shirts in the post soon. Let's move on though. Stevie May. 
Miss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck him. Um, Miss. Yeah, there's a good argument. He's one of the worst scientists at the club. Anyway, we're not going down that rabbit hole today. I'm just wanting to do hits, misses, maybes. Miss, miss, miss. Now I'm again second time round. Because he maybe. came back. Um, That January. He's a maybe. I'll tell you what, for the first... I mean, it was ne- he never reached the levels of the first spell, but he still contributed for that, what, first year and a half, two and a half years he was back here. So... Um. Yeah, and slap bang in the middle. Excellent, Michael Devlin. Who? Oh, no comment. It's a mess, isn't it? Purely because of just injuries more than anything else. I mean, there were some signs there initially, but it's just not happened. Anyway, that and when he did play, the, the fact that he's not good enough to play for Aberdeen. Okay, Sam Cosgrove. Hit. I feel like you've got yeah. Hit. Has to go a hit. Complete. Yeah, has to go hit. Yeah, has to go hit. Now let's get this on the record. <laughs> He had an 18-month spell where he scored, what, 50 goals? Yeah, well, I don't know how many it was, but yeah. I think that in order to make that happen, we became a worse team. To Basically, we built an entire team around this guy to make him score goals, and it worked. But I think we it was detrimental to us overall. This is a guy who I'm pretty sure has not scored 10 goals accumulated in any team he's played in England. No, he hasn't. And we sold him for £2 million. Pounds. To Birmingham City, who thought they were <laughs> buying a right winger. Yeah, he has to go as a hit. Absolute sensational bit of business. <laughs> he was an absolutely fucking atrocious footballer. That's all I'm going to say. His numbers are ridiculous, and for that alone, the two million quid is actually kind of pennies to teams in England when they look at just the data. Hashtag. It's not pennies to Birmingham, though. Well, it's not. Yeah, that's a good point. It's not pennies to Birmingham. He has to go in the hit category. He's he's one of those players I just can't quite fathom out because. As you say, Gavi had that eighteen-month, like, just ridiculous spell where everything he did made him look like the second coming of like Van Basten and Zidane. That goal at Motherwell, you know, nobody like just chips the keeper from like almost yeah. an impossible angle. Yeah, it's one of the most ridiculous goals I've ever seen an Aberdeen player score, and I still can't fathom it how he did it because he's very, very limited. But he has to go as a hit, signed for forty grand, sold for two million when he was on his downward trajectory as well. At that point, amazing piece of business by the club. It was four goals in 12 months, three of which were penalties. Yeah, exactly. Hit, absolutely. In that season, Ryan Christie returned on loan. If we're taking that second loan spell... Yeah, we are. So ignoring the first one, um, maybe. I think he was good in the first six months, but dropped off significantly in the second half. Yeah, that's where I would put him. I feel that Ryan Christie's like... Six months he was here, first time. Two thumbs up. Excellent. First six months of... Second spell, thumbs up. Second six months, mm, not so much. I would put in the maybe category for that second spell. People are going to disagree with this, but you need to look at it in the context of the spells themselves. Graham, you've been outvoted anyway, whatever you do here. So, No, I think that's probably fair. There's a lot of really good stuff in that second spell, but that sort of drop-off in performance, probably, yeah, that, that's probably what I remember, actually, because it happened at the end of this period. I mean, he was never going to top the goal against Motherwell that sent Mark McGee into the stands. So. No, absolutely not. Any chance we get to reference that, it's always worthwhile. What was the Dundee score at the weekend anyway? Uh, they drew, they drew 1-1. Oh, that'll help them. With somebody. Um, anyway, Greg Stewart, first time round. Miss. Miss. Complete miss. Graham? First time round? 
Yeah, he was here <laughs> twice, remember? <laughs> yeah, I know, but the, the second time was not very good. I don't think he was that bad the first time round. First time round was garbage as well. First time round, again, we seemed to... This goes back to, what was it, Mark Reynolds spoke of, where we just would sign good players for the sake of signing them and not fit them into the team, or not even consider fitting them in. Mark, Greg Street was a number 10 all day long, but Ryan Christie did But Ryan Christie did that role. Yeah. So we played him right wing, and he was completely ineffectual. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Dominic Ball, first time. I like Dominic Ball. So I'll, I'll say hit. I'd say maybe. I'd have said maybe. I think he was a perfectly good central player. Um, yeah, I liked him. So yeah, I'll well, say he's hit. in the maybe pile. So there we go. Cheating uh, <laughs> the quality. Um, see previous episodes. <laughs> Freddie Woodman. Hit. Because he uh, played well in the shootout. He was a second choice goalkeeper who came in and did a job and got us through a cup penalty shootout. So he fulfilled the criteria. So hit. Yeah. Hit. Jesus, you guys are generous. I had him in the maybe pile, but there we go. I right. didn't do anything bad, did he? I can't really remember. It's so fucking immemorable. It's just he came and he played a couple of games and yeah, he he won a cup shootout for us. So yeah. Anyway, there we go. That's the 17-18 signings. 18-19. Lewis Ferguson, hit. hit. Total hit. Chris Forrester, miss, miss. But he had circumstances. I yeah. don't I don't feel you can even put him in this conversation. You have to put him in this conversation. You can't just pull people in or out for the sake of fucking being nice. I'm going he to. extenuating circumstances. I'm, I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like Moses Lack pulling Homer Simpson out of the fight with Dredrick Tatum. <laughs> I love the reference. But you've been outvoted. He's a miss. You two are bastards. No, he had extenuating circumstances, but he's a miss. End of. I'll come on to another one in a minute who's a miss for reasons which are not his fault, but we'll get on to that in a minute. It's not this guy. Stephen Gleason. Miss. Miss. Yes. <laughs> Thomas Cherney. Hit. Hit. Why is he a hit and Freddie Woman's not? Thomas Cherney had a song about him. Well, it's a kind of petty criteria I normally like, so I can't really argue with that. And he's currently a supply a, a trainee PE teacher at all of our former alma mater, West Hill Academy. So there we go. Greg Halford. <laughs> Again, see Worst 11 episode. Yeah, how many of these guys are in our Worst 11, by the way? Dom Ball, second time around. Hip. Maybe for me. Maybe for me. Sometimes he was good, sometimes he was absolute dog shit, so... Maybe. Tommy Hoban, first time. 60-40 hit. He's in the miss pile for me because he just was injured the whole time. He got injured really early, didn't he? He did, yeah. You might be even cloudy here by the fact that Tommy's a great guy, good chat, did well second time around. But for me, first first spell is a miss. Well, I was going to say the second, the second spell is a miss for me. Maybe. Maybe, Graham? I would have had him in the maybe. Okay, fine. James Wilson. Miss. First time round, loan. Miss. <laughs> miss, miss, miss. Next one, miss. next one. I have him in miss. So it's it's done. It's two to one. It's a miss. Three goals that season, I think. Possibly. I don't know. I don't have the stats in front of me. What do you think this is? Missed. I missed opportunity. But so yeah, I miss. I miss, right. Max Lowe. Hit. 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 Greg Stewart, second time round. Miss. Miss. Right. Excellent. Lovely stuff. Although it did score a very good goal against Hearts. On to 2019-2020. Ash Taylor makes his triumphant return. 
tell you what, I've seen worse performances on a centre back in Aberdeen this season. Maybe for me. Maybe for me. Yeah, maybe. Some good, some bad. Ash Schiller. It's Ash Schiller. Yeah. Curtis Main. Mess. Right. Michael Ruth. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's carry this. I've not let's seen talk, anywhere. Let's, let's talk about Curtis Main a little bit more. No, here. I Come honestly, on. it's too late to be talking about Curtis Main. Michael Ruth. Gav is no swilling his Rioja yeah. and then going, let's talk more about Curtis Main. That's a conversation that's never taken place with that mannerism going on. Scottish football podcasting has never seen this before. Miss. Michael Ruth. Honestly, maybe. I have no sample size, yeah. Maybe. maybe. Craig Bryson. Miss. Absolute fucking charlatan. Ryan Hedges. Hit. James Wilson. Permanent. Miss. Missed opportunity. Funzo King Ojo. Miss. I would say maybe. He's a miss for me. As far as the role he was brought in to do, yeah, complete yeah. miss. And as it stands, if he was not here next season, I wouldn't be shedding any tears. Yeah, I think he's done okay this season. I think he's done well being asked to perform in roles, which apparently are not his role, but he actually looks more comfortable in it. I, I like him. I like his attitude. I felt incredibly sorry for him for what happened at Tannadice. Um, but no. Yeah, I mean, works very hard for the team. Um, he owns a beagle. So good lad for that. Um, yeah, I thought he was let down by the club and his manager at Tannadice for sure. Um, but yeah, not not of the required level. Okay. Dylan McGee. Miss. <sighs> Miss, yeah. Yeah. Again, I like McGee as a player, but it's just not worked out. If we're sticking Tommy Hoban and Miss, then Dylan McGee has to go and Miss. Yeah, agreed. Mark Gallagher. Maybe. Doesn't appear to perform any level on his loan spells I'm going to put him in a miss category I mean I, I don't know anything I, I don't really know enough about him but we signed him from Ross County we took a punt on by bringing him in he appears to have done nothing on loan anywhere can't get in the Cliftonville squad if you're I think I mean I think he got injured at Forfer am I right he did and then found it really but yeah it's Forfer if you can't get in Forfer or Cliftonville I don't see how you're going to get into Aberdeen's team so miss miss Matty Kennedy miss miss so far, I would say, yeah. Again, a lot of effort. I think he's done some good some good things since he's come back from his long-term back injury under Glass and Jim Goodwin, but um, not nearly enough. Okay, let's break open the conspiracy theories. Ronnie Hernandez. <laughs> uh, this won't surprise you, but miss. Uh, 850k we spent on him. We then, quote-unquote, recouped more than we paid. No, then, no, 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 no. We, we we almost got back. Almost covered our costs. I thought I thought the statement said we recruited more no, than what we paid. No, but then no. they but then they went back on it and said, but then in the same statement it was like contradictory. No, I think the Rioja's playing games with their Gav. I mean, a complete miss and a big part of why so many people are so disillusioned with the club. So Absolutely, a, a miss on a number of levels. So many levels. Yeah, a disaster of a signing. John Gallagher. Loved him. I would have said maybe. I didn't think he was that bad. Tell you what, fucking Cafu compared to Jack Gurr. That's not what we're doing here, though. But, you know, pish compared to the rest of us. So so where's the end for you, Gav? Uh, J- John Gallagher. Yeah. Miss. Thank you. Miss. Graham. Maybe. I don't think he was that bad. Oh, dearie me. 
absolute irony of you tearing into someone based on Thursday's performance. Oh. Delicious. <laughs> Absolutely delicious. John Gallagher is more than welcome to pop down to goals and give some out to me. I'll happily take it. It was I'll I'll stand up and admit it was pish. Greg Lee, first time round. I probably say maybe. Maybe. I thought he did well until he got injured. I quite liked him. I think he was it was a little bit tricky that he wasn't uh, he wasn't Max Lowe. I tell you what, I was happy that he signed the second time round. So I would actually maybe say even a hit in my book. Are we running the risk here of putting him into the Tommy Hoban category though? Because we've just said did well until he was injured. And then he was injured a lot. Well, he was injured what the second half of the season, wasn't he? So in the maybe category? I, I'm gonna in say, the maybe I'm, category. You know what? I'm gonna say I was happy he signed the second round, so I'm gonna say hit. Okay, well, Graham and I have said maybe, so overruled. Zach Viner. I liked Zach Viner. Just because of his name. It was good when he moved to the center field. I remember a game against Kilmarnock at home when we it was him and Lee, and they dominated. So, yeah, I liked Zach Viner, so I'm going to say hit. I don't really remember him that much, but I don't remember him being bad, which probably means a hit or a maybe would be fine with me. So, casting vote to you, Gary. I'd said maybe. Maybe it is. It completely just unmemorable as far as I'm concerned. Right, 2020, 21, Johnny Hayes returned. Maybe. I love Johnny Hayes, but given that the question is second time round the return, it's a maybe, in my opinion. I'd put him as maybe. I want to say hit so much, but oh, it doesn't matter. But I want to say hit. Um, but yeah, maybe. Okay. Tommy Hoban, second time round. Miss. He goes and hit for me. I thought he did a decent job because he was fit for the guts of the season him and Ash did pretty well actually for I mean defensively we were pretty sound last season on the whole it was just the fact we couldn't score a fucking goal was the biggest issue and for how for considering how injured he was or how the injury he came back from he played an enormous amount of games I thought he did a decent job I'm quite happy to have him in the, the hit column he's in the hit column you had his miss Gav harsh I mean I just I think of this last season as being a pretty much unmitigated disaster so uh no, there we go. Well, actually, well, that, that's that seems to be harsh because this season is an unmitigated disaster. Yeah, football's um, all about opinions, just, eh? Just not. Um, yeah, I just didn't think we saw the levels that we saw in the first time round. All right, Greg Greg Lee on his return, miss, 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 complete yeah. miss. Ross McCrory hit. hit, hit every day of the week. Ryan Edmondson, maybe he did start to chip in with a couple of goals. He was, yeah, he was. Because he got injured, didn't he? Yeah. As, as, is, always, as is always the story with our players. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> um, uh, well, he scored a couple of goals against Hamilton, didn't he? Um, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be generous and say maybe, but he did look like a centre-back who'd been converted into a striker. He's in the maybe pile for me. I just don't think we saw enough of him to really make a decision. Yeah, was... no, I, thought that, I think that's fair. I'm happy with Good, that. Good, bad or different. Uh, Marley Watkins on loan. Hit. I just said hit. I thought he did well when Absolute he came in. Absolute hit. And we and you could see it because we suffered so badly when he was injured. Yeah, that's fine. Again, if I adopt the Greg Lee formula, I was delighted when he signed back again this season. So yeah, okay. Uh, Gary Woods on loan. Um, what well, on, on loan. loan? On loan, maybe. Yeah, he, he came on loan last season. On loan, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah, agree. he came because he just came in to basically cover for Cherney, who we weren't aware was finished at that point. Yeah, and then yeah. wait to hear these three. This will be quick. Fraser Hornby, miss. Calm Hendry. Tell you what, I'm 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 gonna remember that night when we signed all these guys. Yeah, I yeah. was excited about Hornby. Yeah, and I, I don't necessarily blame him for what happened because I don't think he was 
he was probably not accustomed to having the ball shelled over his head for 90 minutes. Um, but yeah, obviously, didn't score a goal, did he? Complete miss. Callum Hendry. The best of the three, but still but a miss. still a miss, yeah. Still a miss. And then Flo Camberry. Miss. How this fucker got a gig at Sheffield Wednesday, I have no idea. Right, we're nearly there, boys. We're nearly there, all right? On to this season. Jack Gar. Pish. Christian Ramirez. Hit. Hit. Scott Brown. I'd probably say maybe. I think he got off to quite a good start and anyone here that changes their tune on that one has been a little bit off. So I, I would say maybe it's tailed off laterally, maybe the last month or so. But I, th- I don't think you can put him as a hit and I don't think you can put him as a miss. Well, I'm going to perhaps be contrary to that. Gav's going to be right, Dickie, and he's going to put me in the position where I have to make a casting vote, isn't he? For presumably the wedge he's on and the influence I suspect he holds over the club versus the performances he's put in overall and also taking into factor, would I put him in our team right now? Miss. I'm going to agree with Gav on this. Of course you are. <laughs> I would agree that in the early stages of the season, I thought this was going to work out really, really well and we were going to get a guy who was motivated and blah, blah, blah. And it's just fallen off a cliff since. And to be fair, like the performance on Wednesday night, okay, he was coming out after injury, maybe wasn't great at all. You know what? I'm basing, I'm not basing on this one performance, but like Scott Brown, who said that? Was it Kenny that said this to us? Scott Brown plays his best football when you don't notice him. Yeah, Scott Brown when he was at Celtic, when he was at his best, when it, when he recycled the ball from the centre backs. Yeah, yeah, and he's come to Aberdeen and seems to think that he's still twenty three, and he can't do that yeah. anymore. Uh, yeah, I agree. And against St Johnston, where he played them at home under Barry Robson, I don't think he showed for the ball once from the centre backs, and I just thought that was unforgivable. So he's done well in games where he's wanted to do well which is primarily Rangers <laughs> and a couple of games here and there when he's been challenged, but um, he's not, he's not visibly raised standards in the way I'd expect someone like Scott Brent to do. And it's, I'm here. And like, if you asked me to name an Aberdeen midfield, Scott Brent's not in it. So for all the things, all the factors I've mentioned, he is a miss. I would put in the miss category. I think for the money zone, it's just not been, it's just not been good enough. Um, this one's a slam dunk. The next one. Oh, you're you're looking at the list, aren't you? Like yeah. Jet. Miss. <laughs> I love the, the glee in your voice there. That one. It's good. I like it. I imagine when Jim Goodwin <laughs> steps into Putaudry, thinking of what he's arriving to, and he sees Jet for the first time. She's like, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> um, complete miss. Declan Gallagher. A disastrous piece of recruitment. Are you talking about Declan Gallagher or Jet? A little Both. from column A and a little from column B. <laughs> I just felt that that was a continuation while I'd gone with the next one. Hey, Gallagher's a miss. It's Gallagher's a not, miss, yeah. It's just yeah, not so far, out. miss. Gary Woods. Gary Woods, miss. Miss. Nowhere even close to being the number two at Aberdeen, never mind the number one. Yeah, Marley Watkins, second time round. Miss. Maybe. Oh, God, you guys are going to make me do it again. I think we've been a better team when Marlon Watkins has been available. I put him in the maybe pile because I don't think the sample size is big enough. So he's not been available enough. Yeah. So, but surely that makes him a miss. 
Because guys no. got put into the mess because they weren't available. No, not no, they didn't. Tommy Hoban got put in the mess in the maybe pile for the first time around. Oh well, miss. So I, I'm, I'm gonna go maybe. Right, where were we? David Bates. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I agree. Maybe. I'm convinced there's a player there. I like David Bates a lot, but let's. He's promises. He's had some really highs and some really low lows, so yeah. I think that's why he's in the maybe for me. I'm convinced there's a player there. He started pretty badly. Came onto a game with Ross McCrory. But yeah. as of late, it's been, yeah, not good enough. Did okay, actually, yesterday, I think, Ibox, in fairness to him. Um, so there we go. Hopefully you can build on that. Uh, Dante Polvara has to be a maybe because we don't fucking know anything about yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Vicente Bajouin. I'd probably still say maybe just because it's too early. It's too early, it's maybe. Yeah. I'm encouraged. A lot of very positive signs. Yeah, definitely. Um, but we need support around him and to take the weight yeah. off his shoulders. And I feel that some of these are a bit unfair because they're just in the door, so it's hard to make any sort of judgment call. But in order to be accurate, we need to do it. Adam Montgomery. It's got to go maybe on the basis that we've hardly really seen him. But he's veering towards miss because he doesn't have the positives that I've seen from Bajan so far. I'm going to say miss because just the pure... What's the word I'm looking for? Like the pure bafflement and... I don't know, like just the, the baffle about the actual fucking signing is a, in the first place. I don't know, like that's probably been really harsh. Maybe in the maybe pile. I'm gonna say, and this is no fault of Adam Montgomery, but a complete miss. I'm saying miss because I think the signing just fucked off so many people. I think it, again, it used up capital, didn't it, with the support as a signing on January. We'd have just been as well not signing fucking anyone on deadline day if we'd brought Kieran Nguyenia back on loan. From back from his loan spell, yeah. people would have been much happier. And he's not Adam Montgomery is a guy that's learning the game. He's not a match winning kind of player or a match turning kind of player that you expect from Celtic. So uh, yeah, um, he's not he's not offered us anything particularly special. He's in the miss column for me. He's probably not going to play again this season. Screw it. And he goes Teddy Jenks miss. Miss. Yeah, probably. I like Teddy Jenks. I think there's a player in there, but you just, you can't see where that player is. Yeah, and we spoke about Teddy Jenks a lot. I think we're all in that place, but for me, it's a miss. Um, the last two are fucking absolute dead certs where they're going. Austin Samuels. (laughs) 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 I forgot about Austin. Fuck me. Um, what was the Cali score the other night? They lost one nil late on. What was Cal? What was Austin's performance like? I'll be honest; it was only after about ten minutes watching the game that I realised he was playing. <laughs> he got hooked at halftime, didn't he? Yeah, and, and to be fair, the pitch at uh, Partick is an absolute shambles. Oh, it's it exactly disgraceful, gonna, isn't it? It wasn't going to really well suit his game, anyone's game, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he's not tearing up in the championship. Um, in the words of Gary Bones and May, an athlete, not a footballer. Yeah, definitely miss. And then last but not least, Matty Longstaff. Uh, correction, Mansfield Towns, Matty Longstaff. Sorry. This guy can go fuck himself. Is he in the miss pile, Gav? In my book, yes. In the words of many a Newcastle United fan Twitter, it was all the SPL's fault. Graham? Yeah, that did not work out, did it? 
absolutely did not miss. So I'm just I'm I'm tallying these up on a spreadsheet because you know that's what that's what proper podcasts do is like spreadsheets and shit. Well, we are a fan of the data as it's become very, very well known. I'm not going to color code it because, you know, I don't have fucking time for that. It's, I feel like I want to like watch you edit this in like in real time. <laughs> it's 10 to midnight on a Sunday and I'm editing a spreadsheet about Aberdeen signings for the last fucking five seasons. Like, where did it all go wrong? Where did it all go right? God damn, that's a lot of X's in the miss pile. Yeah, so here we go. Scores on the doors. So all in loans or permanent transfers and it can include multiple players because they may have come here twice here's your totals out of 61 transfers of sorts in the hit pile 10 in the miss pile 34 and in the middling pile 17 which brings you a hit percentage rating of 16 percent a miss percentage of 55 sorry 56 percent will round up and a maybe of 28%, which means the guys who are not hits or misses, the guys who are not hits account for 84% of our transfers since that Scottish Cup final. I don't think we're being dicks about this. I don't think we're being dicks about this at all. But this is where I get to is that I, I feel, I feel that this season has been a long time coming based on that, sort of recruitment since 2017 is this in a way a testament to the previous management well i was i think it's because collective i was about to say it's realized itself under glass and now goodwin but it's been bubbling away for quite some time but it depends where you it's maybe slightly different with the older regime but the management did i think pick the players more than they maybe would in the the newer set up but I don't I don't think you can pin the blame on McInnes and Doc or anyone collectively someone's dropped the ball here big time that's not me saying is that a testament like is that is this his fault I'm saying in a way like is this almost like a thing that you'd look at and say listen recruitment's been kind of shite but we generally speaking we're in a much more positive place than we are now oh I see what you mean yeah as in how have we achieved what we've achieved with what we're all saying is a pretty woeful recruitment strategy it's it's damning for the new setup when we're looking at this and i'm i'm seeing one hit this season yeah i, I was gonna say to you if you, you were saying there is this, a, is this a, a thing about the previous regime maybe who knows it may or may not be only one player out of the hit category came from this season's recruitment so 10 percent of the hits came from this season the other 90% came from previous now that was maybe to be expected because there's more sample size to the previous regime and all that kind of good stuff but I, I, this wasn't intended to start out as being a holy shit Derek McInnes was terrible at recruitment type thing this was just me initially yesterday thinking about a recruitment everyone's points to recruitment in January and in the summer and it got me to thinking actually this has been a bigger issue for longer than just the last 18 months this has been a downward trajectory for us for five seasons now i stand by that it's, it's recruitment from last january as well uh, recruitment last january is terrible absolutely of course of course it is if you truthfully say that Derek mcginnis who's handed what 2.25 million from cosgrove and the other snake that leaves rangers uh yeah is, is, yeah. is his best option truly callum hendry 
So what? So was he backed in the way that everyone says Steve Glass wasn't backed in January? And I think that's clearly true. Was Derek McInnes backed last January? No, he wasn't. But I think there was reasons for that because I think the board had decided that McInnes wasn't going to be the guy for much longer, so they weren't going to give him money. To... Is that a good enough reason to just effectively sabotage the second half of the season? Uh, I, I'm not saying it is or isn't, but I'm suggesting that that's the reason why is because they'd already made a call. Plus, Benjamin McInnes has said he was going anyway in the summer. No, that's 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 completely fair, but I don't think Derek McInnes would have just outright signed Flo Camberry. I, I, I don't disagree about that, but I can see where the board are coming from where they went, you know what, it's not the right time to give the guy money to spend on signing guys on three-year deals when we're going to bring a new management team in in the summer. Well, again, given what they did in January, I don't even I don't even think they even knew what they were doing at that point. I don't think they know what they're doing now, if I'm, if I'm being perfectly honest about things. Yeah, I, I just think it's an interesting piece to look at because like I say, everyone has pointed towards January, the summer, the January before, but the data, hashtag, kind of doesn't lie. This has been a downward trajectory in terms of signings and recruitment since the 2017 season. When, when you look at it in bare brass tacks like this, it's not been good enough for our football club. And that's why we are where we are this season. It's been a, a, a accumulation of five years of terrible recruitment. Yeah, and if I'm being honest and I go back to the very first question you asked about the segment of what's the lowest point been, I don't have faith that we have, we're going to re- rectify this in the summer. It's a huge, huge, huge summer window now. Summer's not long enough. Like, jokes aside, the resources we've got, you look through who's maybe coming and going or who you'd want to maybe move on that you might not be able to. I feel like you're a few windows away from this because we're not going to have 10 million to pay guys off and get guys in. This is a a big problem. It's at least a three or four window process. And you know what? I I feel that our assets, our playing assets are regressing in value with almost every week. And I don't disagree with that either. But this also does get you to a different point, which is I think the issue was here with Glass when Glass came in the door as well. I actually think Glass needed probably three or four windows worth to be able to really put a squad together that was in his, what he wanted. That's now a moot point. People will agree or disagree about that out there. Even you guys on here will agree or disagree with that. But I think that... Uh, wait, wait, we couldn't continue with even Glass. Yeah, but... My point was not about whether we could continue or not with him. It was around... The point is you never know because it would have taken him time to yeah. filter out the guys he didn't want to get the guys in. And that's, yeah. that's multiple um, windows. Yeah. But I get very that. rarely does a manager actually get the number of windows required to actually be able to then say, not only is this my first 11, this is my squad. I've now got everything I want. Judge me on that. No one ever, no one really gets that time. Yeah. So yeah, it's a selective audience that does that, isn't it? Yes, and let's let's like I say, let's put it on brass tacks. This is our opinions about these players. People out there might agree or disagree about what we've where we've allocated players. I I don't think we're being unnecessarily harsh with people. I think that it's a relatively fair and balanced take that we've put on it. A hit rate of just over one in ten, which is what it is for a club with the resources that we have at our disposal, is just not good enough. It explains why in a fucking garbage league, which this league has been this year we're in 10th place absolutely i thought it was an interesting piece of work to do and i think it's kind of borne out maybe what we were what we were anticipating it might do if you're out there listening to it if you agree you disagree whatever drop us a line twitter you know where we are gav will start a fight with you about it it's not a problem depends how many classes of real guy i'm in <laughs> but we are where we are aren't we now um it's for me it's um it's a it's a footballing operation which has been mismanaged now for five years. 
we've spoken tonight with a, a future guest and it feels we're in the position we were in when he first joined, if not perhaps even worse. I think a bit worse because that... Tell you what, given the uh, the chat for a previous manager, we're now in need of saving. Don't disagree. Which I know like we were when he came in, but we now really are. You know, I've said this before, I think we're in a place where we are a football club who have got people in charge who don't know how to run a football club. Prove me wrong. <laughs> On that depressing note, that wraps up part one of this week's show. Join us after the break where we'll bring you our exclusive interview with Aberdeen fan and Glasgow City co-founder, Laura Montgomery. Someone who does know how to run a football club. Absolutely. Where we talk about her love of the game, growing up an Aberdeen fan in the central belt and having to tell her manager, Scott Booth, that Ian Jess was actually her favourite. To play us out this half year is the Zbex with their track, Aztec. Gold, you can find the guys on Spotify and you can follow them over on Twitter at the Zbex. Here's the Zbex with Aztec Gold. Shot, but I fear that I've missed 
This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Maritime Developments Limited, leaders in portable flexly technology. Did you know that MDL are the only provider of rental pipe play tensioners with a track record above 4.5 metres per unit? Their pioneering TTS4 range includes systems with 5 metres and 5.5 metre track contact length, which are still road transportable, like the rest of their rental equipment range. Pair that with one of MDL's HLS packages for a flexi solution that can be customised to any vessel and available deck space. Get inspired by their innovative systems at maritimedevelopments.com. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Time now for the return of our series of interviews with well-known Don's personalities. And this week, it's an exclusive with an Aberdeen fan, and she happens to be the Glasgow City co-founder. It's Laura Montgomery who talks to us through her love of the Dons and her career in building up Glasgow City from the ground to be the biggest and most successful women's team in Scotland. Laura Montgomery, welcome to the ABZ football podcast how's it going good thanks for having me delighted to be here. hey we are absolutely delighted to have you with us and um, we'll just go right to the very beginning I think so you were born in Paisley I think that's right and you grew up in the central belt just talk to us a little bit about your kind of childhood and your your upbringing yeah I was born born um, I've always grown up south side of Glasgow I was born in Paisley just as a wee curveball because that happened to be the nearest maternity hospital <laughs> um, but that's my only experience of Paisley but yeah, kind of grew up in uh, in Glasgow just from a from a football context. Um, as pretty much the only kid that never supported, you know, Rangers or, or Celtic. Um, and that was that was probably largely because I was always I was just always mad about football. Just loved it 
you know, from the moment I was born, always played it and watched it all the time. And and for me, I just watched, you know, who I thought was the best team. Um, and at that point, obviously, very much was Aberdeen. And my parents um, were more than happy for me to make my own choices. I think most parents try to influence their kid one way or another. Um, and my dad, he's a massive football guy, but he supported Third Lanark as a lad. Okay. He grew up in Castle Milk in Glasgow, so Third Lanark was his local team. So obviously they were they were well defunct at the time I was born. So that kind of meant that I didn't really have anyone forcing me down one route or another. Good stuff. So we'll come on to Aberdeen in a minute. Um, but I'm presuming you've also touched on there that you know you can maybe remember playing football, being interested in football from basically your first memories, I suppose. But I think I read somewhere, and I'm presuming opportunities for you to be able to play properly, and I'm using inverted commas here, when you were growing up would have been pretty limited. Yeah, completely limited. Uh, really, I never played properly till I went to university. So, you know, I played all the time. Um, you know, I played every day in, in school and the playgrounds as everyone else did. I actually even was able to go and be with the primary school team, but the rules meant I couldn't play for them. Um, and then all the all my pals that I played with, you know, during the day, they'd all go off on a, you know, a Saturday or Sunday and pull on their strip and play for their local team. And yeah, those opportunities just didn't exist for me. So it was pretty much uh, when I went to university, got to got to play properly. It's interesting because that mirrors, we spoke to Emma Hunter back in episode six, I think, of, 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 of our show. And Emma said exactly the same, like she'd be practising week on week with, with the boys, but just was never allowed to, to pull on a strip on it at the weekend, which seems kind of mad it doesn't really make any sort of sense at all really and it's interesting to see that that was being played out across the country that wasn't just an Aberdeen thing for example Emma that was happening everywhere totally and and I've always I suppose I've always been a bit unusual but I mean I started my own team when I was in high school um and but again that that kind of didn't really mean anything I mean we actually believe it or not did get a strip and how that happened was I used to play um, outside the science block every day um, with a couple of other girls, actually, and, you know, with the boys. And it was my science teacher kept saying to me, like, you guys are actually really good. And I kind of said, I know, but the school's got, like, 10 teams, but they're all for boys. So he, um, we kind of asked the PE department, no chance of a team, but we decided we'd create our own. And literally that just meant that he supervised us one afternoon um, a week and we got to play five-a-sides, but... He- you know, me being me went out and got us a sponsor and got us a strip. So, you know, we, we kind of looked the part, but the reality was no other school had teams. So we had we had no other team to play against. Uh, and it was Rachel Corsi who let slip to us when we when we talked to Rachel about the fact that you were an Aberdeen fan. Although I think it's it's out there. It's not like it's a big secret or anything like that. And um, But obviously you just touched on it. You grew up in the central belt. Was it just the fact that Aberdeen were at the time the most successful club kind of going that really attracted you to them? Or was there anything else that you can recall? I was just a complete glory hunter. Excellent. So, uh, literally, <laughs> they were the best, best team uh, completely at the time. I just loved them. I absolutely adored Eric Black. Um, you know, it was probably largely his fault as well. Oh, yeah, and I just love watching Aberdeen. And, and most weeks, you know, they tended to win. And, you know, I got to have good banter with everyone else in class who supported the other team. So, yeah, just literally. And probably... Probably in fairness, my parents quite encouraged it because I think they were quite delighted. I didn't like either the old firm, you know, from a safety point of view to go to games yes. and things. So so they were more than happy to buy me Aberdeen strips and Scotland strips. So yeah, I was I was always the odd one out in the local park wearing Aberdeen colours. Excellent. That's what we like to hear. So it's all about representing. Um and there's quite a big support though, like in the in the central belt for Aberdeen as well. I think a lot of that probably is driven from that kind of era, I think, where best team in the country winning, you know, European trophies, etc. 
and also I think from speaking my wife's from um, just outside Glasgow and I speak to her her dad a lot about this about this kind of pressure I think if you if you grew up in certain areas of Glasgow so we're not one or the other in terms of like you know who they supported there was this kind of pressure to try and not support one of the two to try and people try and steer the kids away from supporting one of the old firm precisely for what you said on a kind of safety level so it's always been quite incredible to me just the level of support that Aberdeen have in, in the central belt still to this day. Can you recall the first time you saw Aberdeen playing? Can you remember what would have been the first time you actually saw them in person? Um, it probably would have been a Dundee United game. Um, I can't remember which one actually, but my dad used to, he used to take me to, I, I never got to see them, unless it was like major games at Hamden, mm-hmm. I never got to see them play uh, the old firm uh, live, but he would take me to like, you know, games at Motherwell or Dundee United because of the big rivalry at the time. So we would quite often try to go to those games and, and you know, go up to Petorji on times. But I mean, we were actually, when you're talking about the support, you know, kind of in the West, I mean, when I was a little girl, you know, we were, we were in the supporters club um, and that would, I'm trying too young to think, but I mean, we would only ever meet up when Aberdeen came down to play either the old firm. And it shows how much times have changed that the night before the game, the first team would meet supporters, you know, in, 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 in a function room in the hotel they're in. But, you know, I mean, that supporters club, I remember being massive, you know, there was loads of us, um, all from, the, you could say, probably Glasgow um, and surrounding areas. But yeah, it was, it was mainly the Dundee United games, I remember. Um, probably being my, my first game and you kind of just touched on it a minute ago when you were growing up Eric Black was your was your Aberdeen hero anyone else still around the time that ticked that box for poster on the wall type job and what what was it about Eric Black I guess actually that, that... I, I think I remember watching him score an overhead kick and just thinking like wow that's amazing and I just I just he was really good he was really good in the air for not being the biggest guy um, obviously terrible problems with injury but yeah I really just really liked him for some reason um, I suppose when you're younger you don't often really know why but it's small things like seeing him score an overhead kick um, but at the time you know I loved I loved the Aberdeen of that era you know we had so many good players um, that I would think of really fondly obviously all the famous ones like Miller McLeish and um, McKimmy and all them you know they were just all great players and of course you'd love it because they all played for the national team so you had so many so many national team representatives as well um, but then I moved on from um Eric Black to Ian Jess, you know, he was then my next my next big hero. And for a time, um, I used to do athletics quite seriously when I was younger. And my coach was Stuart Hogg. Oh, yeah. Stuart was obviously the Aberdeen fitness coach for many, many years. Um, so I always remember for my, can't remember if it was my eighth, it might have been, must have been my 18th. But I always remember he got me the Aberdeen calendar and he got all the players to sign it. Um, but Ian actually wrote, you know, to Laura, lots of love from Ian. Oh. And I was like, well, that's it. Still treasure that calendar to this day. Quite right. The Portsoy Pelly, an absolute legend. Um, I probably, I was going to touch on Scott Booth later on because obviously there's that connection there, but did you have to tell Scott that Ian was your favourite? Oh yeah, I actually, showed him, <laughs> I actually showed him the calendar, which he signed. I mean, how ironic that he signed a calendar and years later I'd be interviewing him and then being his boss. And <laughs> 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 yeah. No, I used to frequently tell him that Ian was the better player than my favourite. <laughs> I, think, I think he was used to that all his life, so he was fine. We'll come on to Scott again in a minute or two. But um, in terms of like your favourite memory or moment from supporting Aberdeen, what do you think that would, what would that be? Um, it's, I mean, everyone say that the cup game, but I was obviously quite young. But um, I actually remember one of my favourites was, and you know, I can't even tell you what year it was, but it was the semi-final at Hamden against Rangers. And 
you know, Gascoigne was in the Rangers team. And I just remember Ian Jess completely outplayed everybody on the pitch that day, you know, including the world famous Gaza. And yep. I probably I probably loved that, you know, more than anything. Plus the fact that I'd been given tickets and I was in the Rangers end with Aberdeen top on. So so that was that was a good memory as well. I think um 95 League Cup semi-final, that sounds like to me. When that, that's what it would have been, yeah. Jess does the keep you ups as well on the near touchline mm-hmm. when uh, we're, we're tuning up at the point. Gives great stuff. Turning into your own football career, Laura, then you kind of touched on earlier on that you only really, it was only when you got to university that you really got a chance to play proper, organised team football that you weren't doing yourself. Yeah, yeah, totally. It was literally Freshers Week, you know, as you go about the little sports hall and you see that there's actually a football team and then you learn that there's actually a league and all the universities compete in it. Um, so, yeah, that was. That was a kind of groundbreaking moment for me. But then that led on to finding out there was senior women's football, you know, because I just didn't know then. And of course, we didn't really have, we didn't have social media or anything mm-hmm. then. So you didn't, you didn't really know unless you knew somebody else in the know. But once I started to play for the university, um, you know, a few other people knew that there was a senior league and I was asked to go and play for the, the local team there. And did you find though, when you kind of joined up with the team there at uni, that there were so many other people in the same boat as you who who just kind of come through school, primary, secondary, not really had the opportunity. And then suddenly you get all these opportunities kind of spit out of nowhere. And it's, I guess in a way it must be kind of almost a bit overwhelming from that perspective to go from being able to just like the kick about and stuff in the school playground to suddenly it being an actual organised structure to it. Yeah, but do you know what? Was it overwhelming? Probably not. I just probably always felt it was a rite of passage. And mm-hmm. as I was getting older and older, it was annoying me more and more that there hadn't <laughs> there hadn't been these opportunities and you know there will be some people that will turn around and say oh there was a team there was a team in this area but you know I just didn't know about it you know because you you just didn't know as I say there wasn't wasn't social media there certainly wasn't anything in any newspapers that ever told you there was there was women's football happening so yeah unless unless you happen to know the right person you just didn't have a clue and it's after you suffer a, a pretty bad cruciate ligament injury that that's when the seeds of Glasgow City begin to guess germinate Talk to us just about how the whole concept of Glasgow City came to yourself and to uh, Caroline Stewart, who's the co-founder. Yeah, so essentially, um, so I'd met Caroline, or Cass as, as we kind of know her as Caroline Stewart, I'd met her actually at university. So she bizarrely played for the Glasgow University team. Um, and to be honest, it was, a, it was a cheat because she had been, she was about, she's nine years older than me. So she was in full-time employment wasn't a university and when she had been a university she'd gone to Stirling Uni so it was all a complete you know <laughs> bring in bring in a, bring in a good player that might help us win university game but anyway I got to know her and she played for this other team uh, called Maryhill Eagles so that's then the senior team I joined so I played for them for one year um, and then as you say I tore my crochet um, in my late, my late teens and, and I didn't play for three years but it was during that kind of first period of being injured, you could say I'd, I'd gone from nothing to suddenly playing in senior women's football and I only had a year. So I didn't really take any of it in other than I was just so excited to play football. Um, and then when I got injured, I started to look at, you know, look at things and I was thinking, God, you know, could be playing in better pitches or, you know, could have better kit, sponsors could be better, this isn't good enough, you know, we need to change things. But when you've only been with a team for a year and you're, you know, you're, you're 19 years old, then, you know, it's hard to suddenly change that. It's not, it's not your club. So Cass and I just, the more and more we spoke about it, the more we thought, right, we're going to start our own team and do this ourselves and do it our own way. So that's pretty much, pretty much what happened. One question I've had for years, why orange and black? Because I, and basically because I had read a book at the time or an article, I can't really remember, but I'd read about the most successful teams um, 
quite often the bright colours. So, okay. you know, the old West Germany, Argentina, Brazil, a lot of the greatest success in football had come from teams with bright coloured strips. So there was that that I'd read. Um, I also wanted to create something different. So back in those days, you know, let's, except for like Dundee United, but all yeah. the regular amateur teams, everybody played in white, red, blue or green. And there was maybe the odd yellow. Like nobody had, nobody had pinks or purples. There was nothing unusual. So orange was unusual. Um, also the Dutch team, you know, back in the late 90s, always quite like, quite like their strip and their colours and they were successful, you know, with the hullets and all this kind of stuff. So we just thought we'd be different and unique. And don't get me wrong, at the start, it was really difficult because, you know, now we're in a lucky position. You know, we have bespoke strips. We designed them with Joma. But back in the day, we'd pick a strip from a catalogue. Yeah, the catalogue, yeah. Yeah, so we picked these colours that no blooming catalogue ever carried. So so that was always a bit of a challenge. It was a good idea at the time, but you didn't have a lot of choice. But, yeah, that's essentially that That was it. We wanted to be different. Um, and I'd read that, that article about success in bright coloured strips. Because I remember this as well. When I um, when I was playing juveniles, I moved from a quite an established club to a, a brand new upstart club. And the um, the guy who was away to set it up had promised us, right, for strips, he hadn't decided what he was going to do. And he came up with this random solution, which was going to be, I'll, I'll pick the team that comes third in the World Cup. Mm-hmm. That'll be the strip we go for. And Croatia came third in the 98 World Cup. And that got quickly reversed very quickly because you couldn't find a, a Croatia-esque outfit uh-huh. in the catalogue. So we ended up looking like Argentina instead, I think. Um, <laughs> disappointing for everybody at that point. But when Glasgow City's formed, what's your kind of initial aspirations for the club in the short term at, at that time? Um, it was quite well documented because we were really quite... Uh, kind of brassy at the time I mean we literally how we started the club was that we knew because we, we were entering as a new team and um, we had to go into the lower league um, and at that point that was the reason that was kind of we had to do the team that year because the year, the following year the whole women's structure was going to change so it used to be one top division then regional lower divisions and but then they were going to go much more to one two three four so this meant we could we had one year at one of the lower regional divisions but we had to win it to get into the Premier League because only one from each of the regions got promoted. So we had to attract really Premier League standard players to play for us in this lower division. So we basically just did a big sales pitch. So I kind of knew who a lot of the good players were, a lot of the good young players. Um, We asked everyone to come to a presentation, which Cass and I then delivered back in the day when nobody used PowerPoint or anything like this. And we basically presented um, a whole night and how we were going to create Scotland's best team and did they want to join the journey. Um, and, you know, enough good players signed up for that journey, which was a big thing. A lot of them were stepping down to do so, or young, ambitious young players that wanted to choose us and not win in the, the top flight. So, yeah, that's that's essentially what happened. But as I say, we, we were very vocal and we did go about telling everyone we were going to create Scotland's best team. And hey, that's the thing, if you don't have that self-belief, You've got to champion yourself any of these types of things, don't you? If you don't do that, no one else is going to believe it. Yeah, no, I think Cass and I are quite visionary. You know, we don't, we always aim high, you know, we kind of don't take no for an answer. We always think the impossible is achievable. And that existed, as I say, way at the very start when we said, you know, I mean, we were a bit naive because I think we might also have said we were going to create one of the best teams in Europe. We didn't quite know how tough that was going to be. But um, yeah, we definitely said we were going to create Scotland's best team and, and we were going to be one of the best teams in Europe. And you end up returning from that cruise ship injury. Uh, you end up becoming club captain whilst continuing to run the club alongside uh, Carol Stewart. You end up making 
263 starts for club. We confirmed that with you today. Uh, scoring 12 goals in the process until your retirement from playing at the end of the 2010 campaign. Just on the playing front, before we then move on to what you've been doing in the more kind of more recent years with Glasgow City, you wrap your career up on a playing side with Glasgow City winning four league titles in a row, a fifth in total since the club was in, uh, put together, three Scottish Cups, two League Cups, an entry into the UEFA Women's Cup slash Champions League qualifiers on three occasions just on the playing side what for you was the kind of achievement that gives you the the greatest satisfaction um probably I think was it 2009 and 10 we won the treble I think it might have been 2009 we won the treble for the first time but yeah I think um I get I I get confused to be honest in the years I was playing and the years I wasn't because it all feels as success or things I've been part of but yeah we, we did a few trebles um certainly when I was playing and and probably that and and, you know, probably even just as crazy as just on my final game as captain to lift the league title. You know, that was my very last game is when yeah. we won the, the championship. So so that was special because, you know, I'd hated to have been ended in a defeat or lost the league or something. So to end on a high like that was was really pleasing. And after retiring from the game, you continued in the role club manager on a, on a part-time basis alongside the day jobs, et cetera, before eventually being promoted to the role of chief exec uh, of the club in December 2020, and that's on a full-time basis. And then since retiring from the playing side, I'm not going to try and say this is coincidental, by the way, but the clubs continue to grow from strength to strength, uh, regularly progressing in Europe to the later stages of the Champions League, further 10 league titles added to the honours board, including um, a rather staggering 14 in a row between 2007 and 2021, further six Scottish Cups and four more League Cups. And there's been a couple of Aberdeen connections to Glasgow City over the years. Uh, first of all, Rachel Corsi, of course, who was the one that obviously, like I say, let slipped us about the Aberdeen connection here. Just talk to us a little bit about Rachel as a, as a player and as a person. Yeah, brilliantly, when I remember us recruiting Rachel when I played alongside Rachel. Um, you know, so I remember she was, a, she was a talented young player. She was playing for Scotland under-19s, obviously from Aberdeen. She was playing actually midfield for Aberdeen. Um, when we got her and we kind of felt you know she'd be better off as a as a centre half so I remember she used to come down to training and in those, way back in those in fact it was probably just about the year before we were then in a position where everyone had permanent training kit but way back then you know you, you trained in your own stuff and I always remember Rachel used to come to training with her Aberdeen top on <laughs> down to Glasgow so yeah I mean Rachel was always a really um, really composed player on the ball you know technically very good but always had incredible leadership qualities, you know, even at a very young age. So, you know, when I retired in 2010, um, I mean, as I say, Rachel came in and became my kind of co-centre half. And then when I retired, you know, we gave Rachel the captaincy, you know, which was quite incredible for someone still so young. But you could just see she had that, she had just had that quality. You know, and we had many more, you could see experienced players and many more players with Scotland caps in the squad. But, you know, Rachel was the only one that, that could continue to lead us. And we've probably been lucky in that way because, you know, we've only, you know, there's been me, Rachel, Leanne Ross, and now Joe Lovin, her first full year as captain, you know, for our, our long existence, we've actually only had, um, you know, four captains. So, yeah, but Rachel, Rachel's one of a kind, um, and it was no surprise that she was made Scotland captain um, as young as she was as well. Can you leave a set of dirty boots around, can you? What's that? Oh, can- <laughs> No, I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then... The other Aberdeen connection we, just, we, we touched on earlier on is obviously Scott Booth, who was manager of the club uh, between 2015 and 2021. Just what was Scott like to work with in the manager's hot seat? And were you disappointed when he made the decision to move on to Birmingham City 
last year? Not, not really. I, I think um, you know Scott and I had a great relationship. First and foremost, Scott is a really nice guy. I mean, he's he's the op. Listen, I I've met um, you know many guys as many of us have in, in football, and sometimes when you meet them, the way they talk, you think they've had a great career and they've done loads. You kind of would almost have to force Scott to tell you that he was a footballer and what he did. You know, he was very humble in his achievements. Um, you know, completely. But as a he's a he's a very good coach. Um, you know, he's a really nice guy. So he has a he's a great manner with everyone. And him and I got on really well. And and so I tie brilliantly. And that's probably why, you know, it did last so long because we really enjoyed working together. You know, we worked really closely. Um, was I disappointed he went to Birmingham? You know, not massively because we had such a good kind of open relationship. You know, we would talk about the fact that he would have ambitions to go and move on, um, you know, probably to England. And I always think it's the same when you've got a player. If, if you all, if you have someone that is completely content in what they're doing, then sometimes are they always putting their, their most into it? You know, so if I knew if Scott had ambitions to coach in England, it meant he was always pushing for more and more success with us. So, you know, when he told me I wasn't, I, I wasn't massively disappointed. You know, I was pleased for him. I thought, told, and I told him this, he was making the wrong choice. It was the wrong club, um, definitely the wrong club. But, you know, he, he didn't want to lose out in that opportunity. So, you know, we, we left on the, the best of terms. And I think for us, having been with us for six years, sometimes a change is a good thing. And I think a change was, was good for us as well. And in terms of just how the club's developed over the years, what's your favourite moment in that journey so far? And there's a lot of success in there to kind of talk about. But if you had to pinpoint one, what would it be? Um, probably one of the most surreal. Um, and it's not the best because we were, you know, we we're beaten over both legs, obviously quite convincingly. But when we played Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League, the first time, you know, we reached the quarterfinal, that was just a wow moment because literally, you know, they had so much money and, and they treat their women's team like they treat their men's team. So it's the same board of directors would sit with us. They only serve champagne in the boardroom. I mean, it literally was a level above. And I've obviously, um, I also do work for UEFA, my match delegate. Obviously, I was in the boardroom with Hibs and my previous job so I've been in a lot of boardrooms or high level clubs but this was this was top top end and I'm you know it's, it's women's football so it's, it's quite even more surreal so yeah that that was a big pinch yourself moment just even in the part of France in that stadium um you know we're in the changing room that Barcelona had been in the week before and stuff that and then in a playing sense actually just recently as well you know that when we beat Bronby over two legs you know on penalties that was a that was a massive night for the club and it was a big year for me personally um having lost my partner that year. So so I think for that to culminate and that being the kind of final game is, was just kind of quite surreal as well. And when we talk about obviously the, the, the greatest moment, we have to talk about what would you say has probably been the lowest moment for the club in the journey so far? I don't know. I mean, obviously we've had a few couple of not good results. Probably one of the toughest is our, our first, the first time we got to the last 16 in Europe. And it was actually the same year, the first time we got out of the, the group stages and we then played uh, Turbina Potsdam, who at the time were the, the holders of the Champions League. And we were, that's probably actually maybe one of our most talented teams we've ever had. So it was probably our best team, but we were absolutely thrashed. I mean, it was something crazy, like 11-0 and 9-0. But the problem was back then we didn't have, we didn't really have scouting reports or videos of anyone. And because we were, we were battering everyone domestically and we were winning, we were beating our rivals 7-0 with our second string team. Yeah. We went out and played the same way. So we, at that point, we were playing possession-based football, very like a kind of Barcelona-esque. And this team were just so good. You know, they just took it off us and didn't, didn't miss, you know, virtually every chance they got. So that was really humbling. But it was a really good learning curve because, as I say, we thought we were a really good team. 
but then you play a really good team and you learn you don't play a really good team in possession-based football or they just annihilate you. Yeah, I was going to say, what do you think you learned yeah. out of that? <laughs> yeah, we, we learned, um, yeah, we definitely learned to um, to play differently when we play against very good opposition. Sounds a bit like our five-a-side team, to be honest. <laughs> um, one of the areas that the club have really developed in is obviously with regards to the academy and youth setup. Talk to us a little bit about how much pride that gives you I guess coming from the background you came from where there was just no opportunities at all for you to be able to play organized football to be able to give young girls the chance to get into the game that must be a real source of just real pride oh it is 100 percent. you know when you talk about some of the best moments it is sometimes at our you know our end of season nights and you know we can't we can't get a venue big enough now for everyone you know we've got over 200 young girls that play for the club and that that is a big sense of pride for us that we want to create opportunities for girls because, you know, they didn't exist for Cass and I. But I think most importantly as well, we always want to be a club that, you know, of course we have a professional first team and we want to have a pathway we can produce, you know, future uh, first team players and more Scotland players, Scotland Youth Internationals. But we never want to be a club that denies the opportunity for young girls to play. So we'll always have a pathway for anybody, kind of no matter their level. Might not be a pathway that ever leads to the first team, but there'll always be a pathway to pull on our jersey and and, and play football and keep fit and healthy. And on a wider level, just would you agree there's still a lot to be done in this country? I'm going to say this country, I mean Scotland, to encourage girls and young women to take up sport in general, whether that's football or anything else. Yeah, because, you know, statistically, our numbers are still really poor. You know, I think we're still a bit third bottom in the EU for girls reaching recommended activity. You know, we're, we're, we're not good for for recommended activity levels for boys as well now, you know, as girls. But, you know, whilst there are more opportunities for girls now, we, you know, we've got a growing culture of of pressure and social media and, you know, things have changed from, you know, when I was a little girl, you know, when I would go to school, you know, there would there'd be no girl wearing makeup or worried what she looked like. We just all mucked in and got on with it. Whereas now there's so much pressure to be a certain way and sometimes that doesn't make it cool to sweat and run about and play sport and, and do all that kind of stuff. So... So girls quite often are forced down choices that, that they maybe wouldn't always say. And, and you can see it from, we did a, we've done different research and things over the past. Um, but I always remember we did um, just a questionnaire with one of our young teams. And I think it was maybe our under 14s. And we had some really talented players in the team who, you know, were on a pathway. They were in like regional squads and, you know, amazing footballers. And one of the questions was, do your friends at school know you play football? And most of them answered to that, no. And that showed that that they were they were scared to be judged. Now, even though they were so talented at it, you know, they, they were scared to be judged at school. So they they, they were getting to a age they didn't say. Now that th- those answers were more more positive when the kids were younger. So the really young ones would say, "Yeah, I tell everybody I play." But as they were getting older, they were telling less and less people because of the peer pressures to not be different and and to not do something that might be deemed not girly. It's really interesting. Um... Just to, I've just thought about this just now. This wasn't something I was going to ask, but does anyone within like you know Scottish government or anything like that reach out to you guys to get ideas and suggestions about how you, not just football, but just to encourage more girls, young women to get into sport? Uh, not directly to us. No? no, I mean I'd like to think they speak potentially with you know our governing bodies, but no, not no, certainly not directly with with Glasgow City. Okay, because I just feel like there seems like such a massive opportunity missed there. If you look at the success story of Glasgow City just on itself in isolation, it seems like such an obvious thing to do is come and speak to, to, to folk like yourself about how to improve. It's just my spitballing and when I get really frustrated about the fact people don't come and talk to experts about it, you know. 
No, listen, I mean, we get frustrated. So, for example, you know, you've hit on it. Our, our biggest motto is, you know, we champion women and girls and we always have done so. And a big part of our role as a club is, you know, as well as wanting to win games, we want to change lives for young girls. So we want to want them to know there's opportunities to be what they want to be. So a big thing of that is we we send our first team into schools. We call it, um, you know, connecting champions to, to local schools. And, you know, we... Where in, in the area where our academy does most of its training, um, you know, we approach the active schools coordinators who are supposed to get kids active to say we would like to send free of charge our first team superstars in to schools to do Q&A, to do a little coaching session. We can let the girls know locally that if they enjoyed it and they want to take up the sport and we weren't allowed because the SFA go in and deliver programmes and they won't allow MDLs in. And I'm just thinking like that just doesn't make sense. So sometimes you have these crazy barriers or rules or people perceive it a certain way and don't just strip it back and say what's going to make a young girl play football seeing a, a role model go in and talk to them about it well it's that whole like seeing's believing thing isn't it yeah. like the only way you can get people sometimes to reach out to achieve is is to see someone who looks like them yeah. doing that thing whatever it might be in life and it just seems mad to then get into that kind of scenario where like you say you're offering that up to local schools etc um, and, and they're not taking it up but hey, um, there we go looking just I guess at the women's game at present in Scotland uh, obviously like uh, Celtic and Rangers they've really kind of stepped up their efforts in the last few years about the support they provide to their women's teams and then you've got obviously like said Hibs Hearts and then Aberdeen more recently have brought the kind of women's team into the, the fold in inverted commas to an extent this is probably a double-edged sword question for you I guess in a way do you view that as a positive for the for the game in Scotland, even if that might be, I guess, detrimental potentially to Glasgow City's ongoing success on the field? No, I think it's really positive. You know, from even just my selfish point of view, there's there's no point, you know, we, we could not attract good players to play for us if we didn't play in a competitive league with our, with other good players. So, you know, I, I think Scotland was starting to suffer a drain on talent, you know, as more and more other countries were creating full-time professional leagues, then, you know, we were just hand over foot every year losing our best players because, you know, they wanted to go and play professionally or they wanted to go and play in a more competitive professional league. So, yeah, it's, it's been tremendous for the game to have, you know, more clubs invest and create more opportunities. You know, as I say, we are, you know, we're a club all about opportunities for girls and women, and that's not just girls and women at our club. You know, we want this to exist for everyone. So the more chances there are for girls to play professionally or play part-time or earn a living or just play at a higher level, you know, then that's fantastic. So, you know, the standard of the league is certainly, you know, really strong. It's really competitive and it's it's, it's definitely what we want. Just turning back to Aberdeen really quickly, how do you think uh, Emma Hunter, Gavin Beast's side are getting on in their return to top flight? And what realistically do you think should be the aim for Aberdeen in the kind of short to medium term? Um, yeah, I think Aberdeen have done well. You know, Aberdeen, Aberdeen were always quite a strong team. Um, and then obviously, you know, something happened a few years back, don't know if they lost players, but they did drop down the divisions, but they've done well to kind of, nurture themselves and, and grow grow again. You know, they obviously benefit from geographically, you know, having that kind of lion's share of players from the area. The challenge is, is probably for Aberdeen going to be retaining some of those good players to continue that success because a lot of their success is built around young, talented players. Um, and those talented players will undoubtedly be offered opportunities elsewhere if they want to continue to grow. But then Aberdeen is a club, you know, if they can't offer full-time professional status to these players, then it's good for them to go and, and do that. So but I think, you know, Aberdeen are definitely, you know, certainly from from now onwards, you know, they should be they should be looking to, you know, if 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 it's if it's ourselves, Celtic and Rangers, which you know most people think might finish in the top three, then they should definitely be 
you know, very, very immediately looking to compete with the likes of Hibs for for that that fourth spot or even trying, you know, even try and get get a bit higher. And there was also the recent announcement, it was last week, I think it was, about the fact that the SWPO is now going to fall under the administrative banner of the SPFL as of the 22-23 season. Yeah. There's going to be a new league cup format to follow. Um, what's the Glasgow City view of this move? Um, yeah, we I'd say we've had a few challenges with different things. I think um, undoubtedly something needed to change um, because the game has grown so much and and the top end of the game has grown you know really fast. Um, we've obviously got three you know full time professional clubs and ourselves Celtic and Rangers and that's that's vastly different to other areas of the game. We've got other teams that are semi pro um, that exist. So something had to be done because the revenues just haven't been brought in remotely. What you know what we'd like them to be, or or, or even anything. There's been virtually no remuneration, very low levels, and that's that's just very difficult for clubs to try and operate on a professional status with that. So there's probably been a lot of frustrations with that. Um, you know whether this is the right model remains to be seen. I think you know me for me the positive aspect is the fact that you know as clubs it's within our own destiny. So you know we will make up and represent the new board. It's not like we're going to be run by the existing SPFL. We're not. We're creating a kind of new entity underneath that, which which we'll sit on. We'll have our own brand new MD and staff. So it's really up to us to help shape, you know, shape that going forward um, and try and make it work as, as as best we can. So I think I think time will tell and you know I've made this many times. My my main trepidation with it all is is having seen when the game's been put in with the men's game before it's it's do we get a right and equal share so if there's ever any it's different if there's individual deals for different leagues but if there's ever a joint deal then you know there's a there's a big risk that, that we end up with a very small part of that which isn't maybe what was the for example the broadcaster's intentions or something yeah. we get we get bullied into the the, the smaller uh, section of the pie than maybe we would have liked and hopefully well with the setup like you say you're getting your own structure your own kind of exec for example Fingers crossed you might be able to push some initiatives to the other side of the uh, SPFL as well. Because I'm, I'm sure I would I'm sure a lot of Scottish football fans would probably agree with me that there could be a lot of improvement on that on that side of the coin. What more else on top of that, what more else do you think needs to be done in Scotland just now to continue to help grow the women's game? It's it's undergone quite a big growth spurt, shall we say, in the last five or six years, especially, it feels like. But there's still a lot more to be done. What else would you like to see happen? I, I think um I mean that's Listen, there's, there's lots of things, but I think, you know, the main thing from a promotion point of view, you know, most people know the game exists now, but we, we're still, we still always look kind of backwards with it. So we've got more coverage now in that, you know, BBC Scotland produce highlights on a Monday, which is fantastic, but there's still nobody ever talks about the games before they happen. You know, there's there's no shows, you know, in the, the, the everyone listens to the radio during the week discussing the football coming up. You know, the women's football is never really discussed. So so if you're if you want to take in a game or, or you want to become a fan of the game, you've still really got to go and try and find it and know where to find it. It's yeah. it's never really just in your face, whereas sometimes you can't miss knowing what's going on in the men's game or, or where the games are. I think if that could change, that would help enormously. Um, and particularly when the likes of BBC, you know, when Alba invest in more live games than we've ever done, BBC Scotland film all our matches now. You know, it's, to me, it's a small thing that when they spend their afternoon on a Saturday talking about talking about the men's games, why can't they start to at least reflect a little on the, the upcoming games for the women? And I think that would massively help grow audiences. I also think, you know, just continued investment from other clubs just to make sure that, um, you know, that, that 
the, the welfare of players are well looked after. You know, they do have the best of facilities, um, you know, the best medical conditions and all that available to them because there's still quite a big, although we've got we've got a thing called licensing where you've got to meet certain criteria, there can be quite a big disparity between what some clubs offer their players and, and what others do and, you know, the level of ground you play at and things that that needs to, I think, be improved in some areas. Looking at the national team, um, made its first appearances at major tournaments, first of all, 2017 at the Euros in the Netherlands, and then that was followed up swiftly with the 2019 World Cup qualification in France. Now, the Scotland squad that went to France for the World Cup had, had five players in this squad who were at the time with Glasgow City. Another six of the squad were former Glasgow City players. I mean, how proud was that for you and everyone connected with the club just to have had such an influential role on the national side at such a major tournament? Massively, um, completely, to be honest, it's probably one of our proudest. And it was something I didn't realise um, until the night before the first game. And one of those 11 players actually messaged me and just messaged me thank you and actually said, I just wanted to say thank you on behalf of half the squad because if Glasgow City didn't exist, we probably wouldn't be about to play our first World Cup match. Now, you know, you might think that's far-fetched, whatever, or extreme, but, you know, that that actually made me reflect, oh, my goodness, you're right. I mean, I, I was thinking about the five that were there, but then I was forgetting... You know, actually, when you count them all up, we've actually got eleven players that, you know, that we've helped to get um, along the way to World Cup. So yeah, that was that was hugely, I think, satisfying and hope really reflective of the the advancements you know we made. Because when I talk about you know pushing down barriers and and forcing change, you know, our club was really that's probably one of the biggest things we've done. You know, in terms of we were the first to to train as a professional team in terms of the number of times we were the first to have a full time head coach, first to pay a player any money and. And somebody's got to start all those things for things to change. And I think if you know if we hadn't probably started that all those years ago, we wouldn't have been in a position to, you know, to probably have reached the World Cup. And there's even an argument in here that Glasgow City's influence helped actually inspire the men's team to finally qualify for <laughs> a major tournament as well. Because at the time of the 2020 Euros, there was definitely some talk from the men's side that they'd been given a real kick up the backside to match what the women had done in the last two tournaments as well. Really? Well, that's that's brilliant. So, I mean, we're glad it's worked because I think, you know, undoubtedly we're all we're all just fans of Scotland in the sport. And, you know, it's brilliant when when both of our, you know, our, our national teams are, are reaching major finals. Absolutely. Turning back to the season again, then just now, at the time of recording, uh, Glasgow City are just sitting in second spot at the table, tucked in just behind Rangers. It's looking like it'd be a close fought fight between the two sides towards the end of the season. What are you thinking? Welcoming the challenge? Oh god, yeah, hundred percent. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's fantastic. We've still got Rangers to play twice. You know, we've still got Hibs to play twice. We've still got Celtic to play once. Rangers and Celtic are still to play twice. You know, there'll be lots of permutations on 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 you know how the league sits, and you only have to look at things last year. You know, Celtic looked completely out the running. Um, you know, around about this time last year, and then you know ended up second in the Champions League spot. So, you no, know, it's hugely exciting. It's hugely competitive, and you know, as I say, it gets us all out of bed in the morning, and we love it. Absolutely. For you all at Glasgow just now, I mean, we've touched on it. It's been an incredible journey already. But what's now your kind of your your medium long term aspirations for the club? I think it's to still try and have you know continued success, um, to still create those opportunities, you know, for girls to have a pathway to be a professional footballer and and for everyone to have opportunities in the game. But just to continue to try and influence change, you know. For the positive for girls and women, and that's as I say, to be wherever they want to be, whether that's a footballer or an astronaut, or you know, just write a book one day. Just you know, just to believe there's opportunities there. If 
if you work hard and, and dedicate yourself and, and you know, these opportunities will be available because you know they haven't been and not not just in sport they haven't been across many areas listen laura we'll wrap things up here we really appreciate you taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule and we want to wish you and everyone at glasgow city all the best lot for this campaign except for playing against aberdeen obviously um we'll finish up with a question that we ask all of our guests and because it's an aberdeen football club podcast we have to bring it all the way back to the dons i'm afraid but if you could sum it up what does um what does aberdeen football club mean to you i think aberdeen football club made me extremely passionate about a sport um, that I have gone on to spend my life doing. Lauren Montgomery, Chief Exec of Glasgow City. Thank you very much for joining us on the EPZ Football Podcast. Stand free. Thank you. So that wraps up this week's episode of the EPZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us and bearing with us in what's been a slightly more drunken Sunday evening than we were expecting. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever on your podcast player of choice join us next week for episode 35 where we'll preview our crucial spfl premiership fixture against hibs fourth place is still on we'll have our usual look at our loanies in loan watch and we'll see how the women's team got on in their fixture against partick thistle look forward to seeing you then stand free This episode of the APZ Football Podcast was brought to you by Maritime Developments Limited, Flexley engineering experts for the global energy sectors. MDL's rental fleet raises the bar for innovative design, technical performance and reliability. The market-leading equipment is backed by in-house expertise in design, engineering and offshore operations, which makes them the safest choice for project success. Get in touch at maritimedevelopments.com to find out how they can help you secure that competitive advantage.